Welcome to episode 40 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Josh Spector. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am Rich Roll. This is the Rich Roll Podcast. Uh, if you've been following along, then uh, thanks for tuning in again. For new listeners, who am I? Maybe you're tuning in, you just saw it on iTunes, you have no idea what you're in for. Well, I am an ultra-endurance athlete, runner, triathlete, cyclist, swimmer. Uh, I am the best-selling author of the book Finding Ultra. I am a plant-based nutrition advocate, wellness advocate, uh, lifestyle entrepreneur, uh, and family guy. I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary my wife, Julie Pyatt, who will be stopping back in uh, for the next episode of the podcast. It's been a while since she's been on the guest and has been a guest on the show, and I'm going to have her back soon. Uh, and I got four kids uh, living in Southern California in Malibu Canyon and pursuing, uh, pursuing in pursuit constantly of my best, most authentic self, which is kind of a theme of this podcast. How can we be better? How can we unlock uh, those dreams deferred and uh, become the most actualized version of ourself. And uh, th- that's also a major theme in my book. And, and the podcast is kind of the idea behind the podcast was kind of to pick up and take off where the book left off. As a result of uh, the book's success, I've had the great opportunity to do a lot of travel, meet a lot of amazing people, wellness warriors, pioneers in health and nutrition and fitness and athleticism. And uh, the podcast is a great forum for me to bring those people and personalities to you, uh, not so that they can become your guru, but so that you can glean some insight from them, find what works for you, apply some of the tools and insights that they provide, and uh, hopefully improve your life so that you can be, like I said, your best, most authentic self. Uh, Today on the show, I have my buddy... Josh Spector, who's a good friend of mine, he is a fellow uh, ultra runner and Ironman triathlete slash triathlete. I've known him for a couple of years uh, through various venues. The endurance community is pretty strong, pretty strong. It's pretty strong, but it's also pretty small. Uh, And uh, I've had the good fortune to spend a little bit of time with him, do a little bit of training with him. And uh, I also just got back from the Badwater 135. What is the Badwater 135? Well, the Badwater is widely considered the world's toughest foot race. Uh, it's a 135-mile run, uh, and if that's not enough, it's straight across Death Valley, starting at the lowest place in the continental United States, or in all 50 states, I'm sure, 282 feet below sea level at Badwater Basin, crisscrossing Death Valley uh, with a couple gigantic uh, ascents, a couple four to 5,000 foot climbs, and then segueing into Lone Pine, California and ascending Mount Whitney uh, up like more than halfway up Mount Whitney to 8,300 feet. It's an incredible, incredible race, Uh, not to mention the heat (laughs) temperatures ranging in the 120 plus range throughout the race. Uh, And why was I there? Well, about six months ago, 
uh, Dean Karnazes, the legendary ultramarathon man himself, uh, emailed me and asked if I would be interested in crewing for him. And of course, uh, it's quite an honor to be asked and a privilege. And I was not going to decline that. I jumped at the chance to get a glimpse, uh, not just of Dean in action and to be able to have the opportunity to support him through this race, but also experience this race in all its glory uh, up close and personal. And I do not <laughs> regret the experience. It was quite, quite amazing. Um, and uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a recap of the race. I got a lot of tweets and emails because um, I was sort of posting uh on Twitter throughout the race when I could, there's not cell service for most of it, but, um, you know, what was going on and I was getting a lot of replies, like, I hope you can get Dean on the podcast and, you know, I hope you can interview this guy and interview that guy. Well, I didn't bring my podcast <laughs> recording equipment to the race. Uh, the race was not about me and the podcast or anything that I was doing. I was there simply to be of service to Dean as best as I could. And so that was my focus and everything else uh, was irrelevant. So I did uh, have the opportunity to meet a lot of cool people and I hope to have them on the pat podcast, the pad, the podcast in the future. Uh, and I will be intent on making that happen, but it wasn't going to happen while I was there. And plus, even if people were open to it, there was no time. I mean, literally you're working nonstop without sleep the entire time. And like I said, you're there to be of service uh, to your athlete. Um, and in my case, the athlete was Dean Karnazes himself. And that was incredible. It was incredible to spend a couple of days with him, to be with him throughout the race, to see how he does it uh, and uh, what makes him tick and what makes him special. And he has agreed to come on the podcast at a future date. Uh, it's certainly one that I would want to do in person and not on Skype. So we're going to have to figure out sometime when we're in the same town to do it. But he said he'd be more than happy to do it. And uh, I think that'll be great. We'll have a great conversation. I, I did, after the race, was able to spend a little bit of time with him. We had to drive back from Lone Pine to Furnace Creek to pick up my car. And he was on his way to Vegas to catch a flight to go down to the Copper Canyon in Mexico to do another race. Um, and I got the opportunity to get him and get to know him a little bit better. I had only met him briefly prior, uh, to the event. So it wasn't like I knew him very well, but I did get a chance to certainly get to know him quite a bit better throughout the experience of the race. And, and it, like I said, it was a privilege. Um, you know, it was his 10th finish. Uh, he's had 11 starts. He DNF'd one time, but this was his 10th finish and he was going for his 10th belt buckle. That's what they give you. The, the belt buckle is the big prize. And he got it. And it was a hard fought battle for him. Not an easy race. Uh, he had lots of ups and downs and um, was not really having the race that he wanted to have or expected to have. But his perseverance and his sheer force of will was astounding because the guy just never stopped. He just continued on no matter what obstacle he was facing mentally, physically, spiritually, he just would not relent. And, and he pushed himself all the way to the finish line. And it was quite, uh, quite remarkable to play a small part, um, in support of that effort. And certainly an experience I will never forget. Uh, also great to, to spend time with and meet, uh, his other 
crew members, uh, Jason Coop, who's a longtime uh, crew member for Dean, uh, quite an amazing ultra runner in his own right, very, very accomplished uh, out of Colorado Springs, where he's a coach, um, a very experienced high-level coach at Carmichael Training Systems with Chris Carmichael out there, a wealth of knowledge and experience. And he was really the crew captain. Um, probably, <laughs> not probably, he did do most of the heavy pacing throughout the race. He knows Dean, Dean, Dean well, he knows what he needs, and he has the aptitude and the ability to log as many miles as needed. And he certainly demonstrated his mettle throughout the race. Um, also, Brandon Freeze, who's uh, kind of a longtime collaborator with Dean, was with him throughout his uh, run across America the other summer. And, uh, and uh, uh, Nathan Pierbolt, who is the uh, other guy on the crew who's a friend of Brandon's and has done some stuff with Dean and has worked with, uh, worked with uh, Brandon over the years. And uh, to spend time with those three guys working collectively uh, as a team for Dean was, uh, was really, really great. And I'm so glad that I did it and I couldn't wait to kind of get back on the podcast and share some of the stories um, and relate some of the experiences that I had. I learned, I certainly learned a ton about what it takes to do this race and what it takes to be an ultra runner um, at that distance, you know, a hundred miles plus a uh, hundred miles and above. Uh, it's its own cu- subculture for sure. It has a lot of, you know, it overlaps quite a bit with kind of the Ultraman community. They're very similar in certain respects, but it definitely has its own flavor. And there's something about being in Death Valley, this sort of sci-fi remote, you know, alternative universe where it's so hot outside, it feels like you have a hot uh, hairdryer on your face at all times that um, brings out a certain special flavor that is unique and very specific to this race. But, uh, I'm back home in LA and I needed a foil for, <laughs> for, uh, for the conversation. Um, and thank, thank God, uh, Josh was willing to come on the show. He was, uh, he was there crewing. It's his third time crewing the race. He was crewing for his friend, Ray Sanchez, who's also an experienced, uh, Badwater runner. I think Ray was running it for his sixth time. Um, and so I would see Josh throughout the race on and off. We sort of crisscrossed each other's paths, a couple times and uh, every crew has its own stories, endless stories about what it was like to make that journey. And I thought I'd have them on the show so we could swap tales and kind of uh, peel the, peel the layers off what Badwater is all about. Uh, so for you people out there who maybe have never heard of it or have heard of it, but don't know that much about it or think you know what it is, uh, we thought we would kind of elucidate it a little bit further. And Josh was great. We had a really long conversation, like an hour and 40 minutes. So uh, I'm going to keep this as brief as I can. Um, But I think that you will enjoy it. Uh, Also, at the end of the show, quick shout out. um, I forgot to call out uh, how you can get in touch with Josh if you're interested in what he's up to and what he's doing. So uh, he can be found on Twitter at at Specter Josh, S-P-E-C-T-O-R. Josh, J-O-S-H, all one word. Um, he's on Facebook and he's got a blog, j-tries-blogspot.com. So check that out. Um, wait, let me make sure I got that URL right. I don't want to misspeak. 
for him. Uh, let's see. Hold on there. Yeah. Oh, no, it's j-tries, T-R-I-S, dot blogspot.com. So check out Josh. He's, uh, he's done three 100-mile races, and he's preparing for another one in September. Um, and he's a great guy. So follow him, too. Uh, also, I will be in New York City next week, uh, July 23rd through 27th. Um, I'm doing an event at the Apple Store in Soho on the 24th at 6 p.m. It's kind of a wellness roundup. Uh, meet the, it's, I think they're calling it Meet the Innovators, you know, the people that are revolutionizing health. We're going to do a panel that's going to be moderated by Jason Walkup, the CEO of mindbodygreen.com. And it's going to be me, uh, Tara Stiles, who's super uber, uber, not uber, uber yoga teacher, um, super popular, uh, experienced yoga teacher in New York City. I think she was Deepak Chopra's yoga teacher. Uh, she knows what she's doing. She'll be there as well as her husband, Michael Taylor. Together they own uh, Strala Yoga in New York City. Um, I've been following Tara for a while, but uh, I've actually never met her in person, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Julie, my wife, is going to be on the panel as well. And then we have Charlie Knowles, who is uh, kind of a legendary meditation uh, teacher. He's the son of Tom Knowles, who's very well-known meditation kind of guru and uh charlie knows his stuff uh i have met charlie he lives here in venice california super cool guy so i'm looking forward to getting together with all those people and uh doing a panel i think the focus of the panel is going to be on the kind of business side of wellness how to um, translate this healthy message that we're all kind of collectively putting out um into uh a sustainable kind of enterprise uh that is of service to others. So that should be a fun conversation. Um, some cool stuff coming up with mindbodygreen.com too that I'm going to be telling you about. So that's it. I got other appearances coming up later in the summer, but uh, not immediately. But I'll keep you posted as we get closer. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailored fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll 
and use code RICHROLL10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, 
go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. That's it. Uh, Let's wrap it up and get into the conversation. Today's edition of the podcast is a bad water recap post bad water jam session with my buddy Josh Spector. Enjoy. back in LA you survived I did yeah it was fun it was fun but you know it was a uh, it was your third time yeah third time. for it and just by way of background you've run you, I know you did you recently ran a hundred miler which race was that I did a uh, San Diego hundred down in uh, east of San Diego Mount Laguna right and that was was that in the, the beginning of the spring June. no yeah. beginning of June June okay. 8th I think and have you done other hundreds? I have. That was my third. Wow. I did. I didn't know you'd done three. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. I didn't know you'd done three. I thought maybe you'd done one other one. No, yeah. I did one in uh, summer 2010 out in uh, Angeles Crest, AC 100. Mm-hmm. And then last summer, last fall, I did Bear 100 in Utah. Right. So you're laying the foundation for your uh, bad water entry application. I don't know. I don't want to. Try not to talk about that. Try not to think about that too much. <laughs> Jinx it or whatever. <laughs> well, there's got to be a little bit of a plan. There is. I mean, you're it's too smart, and uh, you, you know, you. I know there's something going on. I don't know if smart and bad water uh, have anything to do well, with each other, but um, you've got a strategy. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, from the first time I was there, it's it's an incredible experience. That was I was there before. I guess I was there about a month before I did my first hundred. And the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, no, that's not true. I was there the first time I was there in 2009 before I'd even thought about or before I'd even really signed up for 100. Mm -hmm. So, but once I was there that first time, it was always something sort of, whether it's on the fantasy list or actually to-do list. Right. I'm not sure yet, but it's It's on the list. It's on a list. It's up there. And you've kind of transitioned. I mean, you you started out more as a triathlete, right? Are you still doing that or are you pretty much focused on ultra running now? Just on the ultra running. Yeah. Uh, I, I, last... Last triathlon I did was in 2010. I did an Ironman mm-hmm. in 2009. I did Ironman Canada in 2009 as my third Ironman, and then half Ironman in 2010. And I've spent yeah. nearly enough time on the bike since then. No, it's all about the trails, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. What do you think that? Why do you think that? What What do you attribute that switch in kind of interest to? I think that the, uh, you know, I used to be able to say when I first started doing it when I first when I first switched to running, I used to be able to say that that running. It was took a lot less time, a lot less energy, a lot less thought, and then, then all the tr- then all the planning for long course triathlon, especially where you got to get mm-hmm. in multiple workouts every day and figure out how to squeeze in recovery when you still need to get in that extra swim during that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm run, I, I mean the, the amount of running I do now, it's probably more than I it's <laughs> you're more than tra- I was actually doing. training more. I mean, so. Well, it can't be as much as when you're training for Ironman and you got to put in those long. I mean, it's the cycling that really chews up the time. 
that, that's the, the big time, n- not just hours on the bike, but just getting ready to get on the bike and then taking your bike in for service and all the money you spend on the whatever. I mean, it's just a bottomless pit of time, money and energy. And that's where that that's the other thing that it came down to really is that, I mean, if I run, I usually run once or it's pretty, sometimes I'll run twice a day, but mostly it's once a day. But as you know, with, with triathlon, you can't get away mm-hmm. with one workout a day. No. Uh, or, or for long course stuff anyway, mm-hmm. you know, for, for Ironman. And so it involved a lot more. And, and you're right, and the bike, just getting the bike ready and cleaning it and servicing mm-hmm. it. All that kind of stuff. But I do so. miss it. I miss the cycling. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it is, I mean, for me, like I'm kind of, you know, I'm much more attracted to the ultra world than the kind of traditional triathlon world. I mean, it's just a completely different community of people. I mean, you'd think there'd be a lot of overlap, but, but culturally it's extremely different, you know, like the, like the sort of environment circulating around an Ironman or a 70.3 versus the people you're going to run into at, you know, the hard rock 100 you know, never the twain shall meet really in, in a certain respect, I guess. I mean, not to say that there is an overlap, but, but, uh, I think culturally it's, you know, it's just a different, it's a different vibe. It has a different energy. Um, it's a much more relaxed kind of communally supportive, uh, environment, I guess I would say. I think that's true. I think that, cause I think that part of that's, Part of that has to do with just the way the sport works. I mean, nobody, mm-hmm. as you saw Badwater, I mean, if you've been to 100, you can't, no, well, you can, but very few people do it on their own without a crew, without a support. Mm-hmm. And even you rely on other runner. I mean, they rely on other runners and people at Badwater and it was share, you know, not share crews, but the cru- crews help out other other runners of course. Really out there. Yeah, of course. Just much more of a community, I think. Yeah, I mean, I th- well, I think just simply by virtue of the fact that everybody has to bring their own crew, that changes the kind of tenor of the whole thing from the get-go, and it makes it all about, like, supporting each other across the finish line. Is Of course, it's a race, and, you know, it's competitive, and there are people that want to win and, and all of that, but but it's but there's also this other thing where it's it's this environment of wanting to see everybody finish, and be safe and have a good time and this kind of family feeling to the whole thing, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Badwater is, <clears throat> I mean, it's my experience crewing is the biggest, you know, is the biggest, biggest example of that. I think just because it is such a, so much harder than anything. It's so crazy. All right. So let's get into it. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, maybe the average person listening to this has heard of a ultra run or maybe has even heard of Badwater, but let's assume they haven't, you know, I mean, what is explain to people what the Badwater 135 is? Um, I mean, it is, I wish I'd written it down. What he, the, the race director, Chris Cosman builds it as what the hardest foot race, the most difficult foot race on, on the planet or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. And I, it, it certainly seems that way when you're out there. I mean, right. it's, it's 135 miles from the lowest point on in North America, I believe to, not the highest point in North America, but the, the close to the highest point in the lowest in the lower 50, the highest road, I guess, point in the lower 58 in the lower 50 states. Right. Um, so it goes from actual place called Badwater, which is in Death Valley, um, and there's a big sign in the middle of, on the uh, in, in uh, right off the right off the highway there, and you, it's on roads all the way through to to um, into Lone Pine, California, and then from there you climb the 
the Mount Whitney portal road to the Mount Whitney portal, which start, which is the beginning of the trail to Mm -hmm. top Mount Whitney. Mm -hmm. So to put it into perspective, uh, we all know death Valley is in the Mojave desert and it's very hot, but, uh, it's actually been recorded to be the hottest place on earth. And that's true, I guess. Right. Like they were, it was 134 degrees there one day in 1913. Um, and, and I think, you know, temperatures reach close to that quite often. I don't, they've obviously never eclipsed that. That's the high or whatever. But, you know, it is pretty commonplace for it to be in the mid-120s. And it certainly was when we were there. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I've never experienced heat like this in my life. So 100 people descend on uh, this place, Badwater. Actually, what happens is, the race is organized by a company called Adventure Corps, which is run by this guy, Chris Gossman, who is also the race organizer for a couple of other ridiculous events like the Furnace Creek 508, a 508-mile bicycle race. If you've been listening to this show, you've heard Vinny Tortorich on the show. He's done that race a couple of times. So it's kind of under the umbrella of the same organization. And Badwater, the Badwater 135 has been around for what, like 35 years, 36? I think this was the 36th running. Is that, right? Is that correct? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. So, you know, it's been around for a long time and it has been dubbed, you know, the, the world's most difficult foot race for good reason. And, you know, it's easy to kind of throw hype around, but I, I really think that this race, like, you know, earned, deserves its stripes. I mean, I've never seen, I've done some crazy stuff. I've heard of people doing crazy stuff that this thing took the cake for me in terms of what I witnessed, uh, in terms of human perseverance and suffering, you know, like it was intense, man, from the very beginning all the way to the end. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you watch it. There's no, there's no break. I mean, you either you're battling heat. And when it starts to cool down a little bit, I mean, and when I say cool down, I mean, mm-hmm. did it get into the seventies, eighties overnight? Maybe. Yeah, I think in the, yeah, the eight, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it got any cooler than that. So, yeah. but let's just lay it out first. So we, you, everybody shows up in this little kind of, I hesitate to call it a town, Furnace Creek, you know, it's literally yeah. this like bizarre resort. It's not even a resort either. It's like a hotel oasis smack dab in the middle of the desert. As far as you can see in any direction, there's like nothing but desert and ma- mountains surrounding you. So you're in this bowl, you're in this cauldron that focuses all the heat. And then there's this little hotel where there's palm trees and, a, and, a, and grass and a lagoon and a pool, you know, like it's out of some bizarre movie, you know, like, you, like what is that even doing there? And by the way, why is there even a road through this place? Like who built this road and why did they build it? I mean, the whole, none, none of it makes sense at all, right? So... From the get-go, you're in this surreal, you've set yourself into this kind of surreal world that doesn't really seem like it's part of the rest of the world at all. You're completely separated from everything. For most of the, in most of the area, there's no cell service or certainly no internet or anything like that. And you go 17 miles down the road and everybody convenes at, at Badwater Basin, uh, lowest point in North America, 282 feet below sea level. So as you're getting, they started in three flights. So they, the, the race is limited to a hundred, is it a hundred people invitation only every year and, and, uh, explain to people the process of like trying to get into this race, what you have to do. 
I mean, it's uh, from what I know. I've I've not applied, um, but from what I know, it's, it's. But we were talking about this yeah, the other day, yeah, right? It's crazy. It's so hard. He's it's very selective. I mean, obviously, I mean, most years he 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 does a good job, or they the 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 committee does does a really good job of making sure that people who they let into the race have a are are going to finish it, and an, an amazing percentage of the people usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess credit that to the application process, but you have to. You either have to have finished Badwater or completed 300 mile races mm-hmm. or have finished um, uh, Brazil 135, which is sort of an affiliated race mm-hmm. down in, in Brazil in January. Um, and, but even then, that's just the, that's just, that's the minimum requirement to even submit an application. Right. Um, it, it says in huge bold letters on the page, do not even talk to me if, do not even talk to us if you don't have that. And then beyond that, it says they want you know, many years of ultra endurance experience and Iron. And they specifically say again, Ironman is not doesn't even doesn't doesn't even come to the doesn't, doesn't even reach yeah. the radar of, of of what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. looking for you know like Ultraman or, or double triple Ironmans or multi day stage races or these ridiculously long bike rides like Furnace Creek Five Hundred Eight mm-hmm. um, or adventure rate you know multi day adventure races is is what they're looking for to to mm-hmm. allow people to. Race I mean, you've winning it down to a pretty limited number of you know potential applicants at that point, right? Yeah. Is it really? It's you have to have done three one hundred milers at, at a minimum. It, lifetime three. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a qualifications right now. Right. But you know, it's uh, actually. I mean, of course, over time, it's gotten more difficult to to even apply. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right now it's three lifetime hundreds, and and there is some you know proximity where it's three three in your life, but. One of those, ha- at least one of those, has to be within the prior year or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Um, so. Yeah. So, it, so this insane filter is in place. So everybody who shows up, you know, is seriously vetted by Chris, and they line up. Uh, first of all, they weigh they weigh all the athletes. I'm not sure. Well, it's not like they weigh you throughout the race. I guess if you get into trouble when they weigh you later, then they can at least have a benchmark to compare it. And I know some people too. carry scales. We did, I, don't, I don't know if you guys did. No, we, we didn't, didn't do carry that. Scale, but some no. people do as a you know, safety precaution. But yeah, they weigh you. Right. The they weigh you. They take pictures and do all that. And then, and and as you're kind of as they're lining up for the start, if you look against, there's sort of this sheer rock wall that rises straight up from Badwater Basin, right next to where all the athletes start. You know, line up to start, and you look way up. You know, like way up the side of this cliff that is jutting, you know, literally completely vertical from where you're standing. And you see this sign like embedded into the rock halfway up the hill. It says, uh, sea level. And you realize like how below, how far below (laughs) sea level you are. And, uh, it's a, it's a trip. So, um, so, uh, so you're in this crazy place and every athlete has, uh, brings their own crew. So in that respect, it's sort of like Ultraman. So, the one thing that was immediately different to me was that, you know, I was crewing for Dean and, and we had two vans, you know, instead of one, I was like, why do we need two vans? Like, what do we, you know, isn't that going to just make it more complicated? But I think we really did need two because it, because one person was always kind of taking a break and they would take the van up ahead and rest a little bit. And that one was just kind of filled with ice and whatever people didn't immediately need. Yeah, I mean that's what is that what you guys did? Well, this year we only had one. The the past two times I did it, we had two, and we because you're allowed a maximum of you have to have your own crew, but you're mm-hmm. allowed I think a maximum of six people and two vehicles. 
And that's what we did each of the other two years when I was there is we had six people and two vehicles. This year there were four of us and one vehicle. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a, it, it was, it was different. So if somebody wanted to catch a cat nap, that made it a little bit more yeah. difficult for it to happen. I mean, we slapped, like, like you said, in the prior two years, there were times in the middle of the night where we would send one car 10 miles ahead and those, and with one or two, with two people in there and they could sleep for you know, an hour or two hours or whatever, mm-hmm. probably even more than that at 10 miles. But, um, but yeah, this year there was no, there was no car to go ahead and there was no time. I mean, we slept uh, that, for 15 yeah. minutes, maybe once or twice. Right. Um, and so, so the race is 135 miles. And if you've kind of read about it or seen pictures, you know, it gets quite a bit of press coverage because it is just so super gnarly, you know, like pictures like the Washington Post, like it was on Buzzfeed, yeah, you know, I which is that. like, I, I tweeted that. I was like, I can't believe Badwater's on Buzz, Buzzfeed, you know, it's a trip. So it does have this kind of cultural zeitgeist about it that distinguishes it also, I think from pretty much any other ultra running race. Uh, and everyone kind of focuses on the heat and the desert. You see these pictures of these guys that are running in what look like hazmat suits, you know, like full whites, you know, like f- full pants, long sleeves, hoods, like the whole thing. Uh, and you hear about, you know, 130 degrees and, and all of that. But what people don't realize is that after the initial, you know, what is it, like 40 miles or something like that, 50 miles, you start hitting some serious yeah. climbing. You do, I think you do two 5,000 foot passes or 4,000 foot passes. Something like that, yeah. And those are right in succession. You go, you trudge up this, is it a mountain? Like, what do you call it? 5,000 feet? I guess that qualifies, it is, isn't yeah, it? You know? Yeah. And then you go right back down and then you climb right back up again. And, uh, <clears throat> and then you're on kind of some flats for a while as you kind of go into Lone Pine. And then you climb up to 8,300 feet up the portals of Mount Whitney, which is the largest peak in the lower continental United States, right? Yep, exactly. So it's so you think about the desert, but literally when you end, you're in a pine forest. And I guess like it was warm when we finished, but I've heard it could be like 30, 40 degrees up there. I've heard that too. Yeah. I mean, I've had the, luckily, I mean, this year we finished... 37 and a half hours. That was that 8 a.m. starts. That was whatever time it was, 9 30 at night. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. And of course, the runner, Ray Sanchez, the runner that I was, that was right. So I want to talk about him in a minute. Mm-hmm. But um, it, was, it was cool then, but I'm sure in the middle of the night at 8,300 feet, I bet it gets down yeah. you know, it's close to freezing. It's, right. Right. They were, uh, my crew guys were like, uh, one of the guys on my crew, Brandon Freeze, uh, Dean calls him crunchy because he loves like, he's like into like fish and, you know, like into like jam bands and, you know, <laughs> like he's like, you know, <coughs> excuse me. And Brandon's like, yeah, man, if you ever come back here, we'll crew and, you you know, we'll camp up here right after and we'll we'll make sure that we got a, you know, a place to put the tents and all that. I go, dude, if I ever do this, I'm getting a helicopter up here and I'm going like to the Four Seasons, you know, I'm going to sit in an air-conditioned room with a big screen TV, you know. It's true. It's, yeah. You deserve it, I think. Yeah. yeah, I know. I was like, I can't imagine just like crashing in a tent like after you finish that. No way. You know. No way. I know. It's insane. So... Um, so tell me about, uh, Ray Sanchez that you were crewing for, like what's, what's his story and, and how did you get to hook up with him? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, he's a badass. I don't say that on podcast, but he's, you can say whatever you want. He's so tough. Um, he, he was a, 
a golden glove golden gloves boxer until I don't have the dates right until wow. just a few until maybe mm-hmm. five years ago and transitioned into ultra running and from, that's such a weird segue it is I mean I guess the endurance sports thing and and you know I don't know why he stopped what 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 caused him to stop boxing but um I, he I mean it's not like he wanted a break from from the regimen because he jumped in he dove right into ultra running and he mm-hmm. does he competes he he races uh, like we were talking about Hillary just a minute ago he had on, on mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago he he's probably the equivalent of her in, in ultra running world he races almost every weekend right um and I don't know how many hundreds and, and longer races he's done but it's it's a lot he's a this was his sixth badwater finish he's done I think Arrowhead 135 in Minnesota a couple times, Brazil a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done races, long distance races all over the world, and and, the, and then there's the hundred the the hundred milers that he's done in the U.S. Which right. I mean, actually, today's today's Friday. Tomorrow morning, he's lining up for the Tahoe for the TRT, the Tahoe Rim Trail Hundred. Uh-huh. Um, you know, four days after yeah, he like finished, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, he finished on Wednesday. No, right? Tu- no, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night yeah. And now he's doing another 100. He's doing another 100. And, and he's done that before. I mean, a couple years ago, later. he did. Um, and actually, I mean, he's not the... He, and, and the crazy thing is, is he's not the... He's not even... He, I mean, he's probably among the... the, the I don't want to call him craziest, but among the, the most hardcore in that. But there's another guy. I don't know if he's... Uh, Keith... Uh, can't remember his last name. He's the one who run, runs in the tutu every year. The pink oh, tutu. yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Keith Straw. He's um, and raised on this before too. There, he's, he flew immediately, jumped on a plane to Vermont to run the Vermont 100 tomorrow. But like, why? I, I have no. You know, idea. What is and what is the lifestyle? I mean, if if that's what you're doing, your lifestyle is just that's that's your lot. You know what I mean? You there's it really wouldn't be too much room for much else in your life. I don't think. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I know. I mean, Ray works a full time job. Does he, know, what I, is, what does he do to make money? He's a mechanical engineer. Uh-huh. Um, wow. So, so legit. Yeah. I mean, he's got a legit full-time job. They must, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they're, 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 they're accommodating, but you know, most races are on Saturdays. If he's, uh, I guess I'm bad water sort of, you know, the exception in, in terms of that Saturdays or Sundays, but, um, just getting the training in and then the travel to the racing and the racing. It's, it's gotta be. It's amazing. Yeah. But there's also this weird thing, like, you know, a bunch of people, asked me questions or tweeted questions like, you know, what's recovery? What is the, what is the recovery after something like that? It must just be horrific and forever, but it's actually, I think it's different than what people expect. And, you know, here's an example. I mean, Dean was hurting, man. Like he was, you know, he was struggling and not feeling good. And, you know, there were a bunch of times where I thought, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he just says, you know, I'm bagging this, man. You know, like I've done way better in this race. Like, what am I doing out here, like way back from what I, you know, would like to be doing? And, you know, it's just not having his day. And he just never stopped, you know, like he just persevered. And he, you know, during the end, I was like, man, he's suffering. But, you know, what a, what a persistent will that he's going to see this thing through. Um, and, uh, and he said afterwards, like, I don't know that I've ever had to dig that deep. Like I, that is some of the worst suffering I've ever had in a race. And he's like, I always forget how hard this race is, but really, honestly, you know, I think that might've been the hardest time I've ever had at this race. Like I just really was in a hole. Um, and the original plan was, you know, after the race, we'll go out to dinner da, 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 and, you know, we, we were just like, we got to get this guy back in the hotel room 
get him sorted out and like get him in bed and take care of him. And he, you know, sure enough, we get back to the hotel room. He's like, yeah, I just, I can't, you know, I can't deal with going to dinner. It's not going to happen. And, you know, we're like, it's cool, man. Just rest and, you know, don't worry about us. Like we're fine. Uh, and he, like Ray was, had to get to Vegas like the following day to catch a plane to go down to the Copper Canyon to run a hundred K race down there with the Taramara. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, he's like, I can't believe I'm going to get on a plane and I, I have to do this hundred Ks. Like I can't even fathom it right now. Like what was I thinking? And, uh, and then the next morning he's like, Hey guys, what's up? Like he was like completely, he's like, I cannot figure this race out. Literally yesterday I couldn't move. And today I feel like I didn't do anything. And so what is, yeah. So, so what is that? How do you, what do you attribute that to? And I think that it's in part just experience. I mean, the guy's been doing it. He's so adapted to doing these things that his body can rebound more quickly. But I also think that it's, you know, people say, well, like what kind of pace are they running? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like <laughs> if you, you know, they're like, you know, walking, running, stopping, walking, running. I mean, it's like a march more than anything else. And certainly they're running huge sections of it, but there's, I think there's a lot more walking and marching than people realize. And so it's very, you know, it's the pounding on the feet for sure. But there's, it's also, it's not like running a marathon at your absolute limit where you're just, your legs are so trashed, you really can't do anything for two weeks. Like muscularly, I don't know that there's as much damage. It's probably true. I mean, if you your know? feet, I, I, I've seen in the past, I've seen people who come out of that with just mangled feet and then you're, and, and, and then you can't walk. I mean, then you're definitely not racing right. this weekend. Well, that's different. But you know, I mean, Ray was the same way and you saw, I mean, um, a lot of these guys, I, I think you're right because you're not redlining, you're in order to finish, you have to stay somewhat on top of your hydration mm-hmm. and calories and, and electrolytes and you're using different muscle groups. You're running and then you're hiking and then you're going downhill and then you're walking and you're resting. I mean, mm-hmm. I, not having done it, it's sort of easy to say, but you're right. It, it's definitely that it's, it's not the. That, that, that two and a half hour or two, two hour and 10 minute or whatever marathon where it's full bore straight ahead, mm-hmm. quad pounding, quad quads and quads just pound, uh, you know, hammering, hammering yeah. every step of the way. So no, I mean, it's, it's, you really have to be patient too. like, you know, the first 17 miles, like into furnace Creek, everyone's of course running and there was some cloud cover this year, which made it a little bit cooler than it usually is. And I think that people got a little bit excited. And so they were, you know, they were, it was a foot race, you know, they're running, but when I say running, they're not running like five thirty miles or six <laughs> minutes. They're running like seven thirty eight minute pace. And Dean's like, that's way too aggressive. Right. You know, like that's way too fast. And 40 miles in, you know, he's like, this race hasn't even started yet. Like it doesn't matter where, whether somebody's 30 minutes ahead of you or 30 minutes behind you, or you can't see anybody else. Like you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's hard to like comprehend that when you're, you've already been out there for, you know, 10 hours or 12 hours that you're just getting going. (laughs) Same. (laughs) But it's true. It's true though. I mean like that Ray finished somewhere in the mid twenties, 20th, 20th, 20th place. I don't remember like uh-huh. 26th or, or something like that at 37 and a half hours. And when we were coming to the top, you could see the line of people 
I mean, down the portal road and oh, yeah. line, you can see all their lights. I mean, I would guess the average finish time is somewhere in the you know low forties. Yeah. Hours. I mean, did you stay for the, uh, the, um, award ceremony? We did. Yeah. We, yeah. we popped in for most of that. And you know, when they, yeah, when they're reading them off, you realize like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people, I don't know if it's the majority, but a lot of people are finishing in the 40 hour range. And so at 135 miles, that's 20 minutes. Is that 20 minute? Wait, 40. I mean, that's yeah. Like around three miles and a little over right. three miles an hour, which I mean, it sounds so slow, but when you're out there, it's, yeah. That's, and the longer you're out there, the harder it is yeah. in those elements. You know what I mean? They almost have to have a stronger will than the faster guys to be able to endure and bear that for that long. That's true. I mean, because they, they go through, I mean, some of those people that with a 48-hour time limit, you could potentially see three sunrises. And you're going through the heat yeah. of the day twice and the cold of the night, relative cold of the night, yeah. twice. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. I get an email from Dean like six months ago. And by the way, like, it's not like we're buddies. Like I met him once, you know what I mean? And it was, it was really in passing. Like it was a really quick like meet. So, and then, and then I, I hit him up for a blurb for my book, you know, which he was nice enough to do. So we were, we're acquainted, but it's not like we're like talking on the phone or, you know what I mean? Like I didn't really know him and I get this email like, Hey, you know, how do you feel about spending uh, a couple balmy days out in the <laughs> desert in July? And I email him back. I'm like, are you asking if I'll crew you with bad water? Like I was, it was this weird cryptic email and he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not saying no to that. You know, yeah. like that's a, you know, once in a lifetime thing, like what a privilege and what an honor. Uh, of course I'll do that. Um, and you know, I'm familiar with bad water and I know some people that have done it and thought I knew what was up, you know, <laughs> like, but I had no idea, you know, and the one thing that, and I'm interested to hear like your experience with Ray and, and in doing it with, you know, and being there a couple of years. Um, what I didn't realize is that, uh, that Dean wanted some, he had somebody pacing him every single footstep of the way for the entire race with the exception of like maybe an hour, an hour and a half from like six to 8 AM on the, the following morning from the start time where he wanted to run alone. But other than that, he, you know, he wanted to have somebody right on his heel the whole time. And the crew van, we would, we would never pull up more than a half mile or 0.75 miles for handoffs. So you're constantly, you know, attending to your guy. And I was like, like Jason Coop, who's the kind of the main crew captain chief, who's crewed for Dean a lot. You know, I asked him, I was like, so how much, you know, we just pace him at the end, right? Like a lot of these ultras, <laughs> like you don't go in and start pacing until they're unraveling for the last 20 or 30 miles or something. He's like, no, we're going to pace him the whole way. And I was, then I had this moment of like, 
I'm in way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like, I definitely have not been running enough. You know, like I, I got worried. And my first poll with him was like three to four thirty or something like that in the after, like going into stovepipe wells, right. which was kind of the hottest part yep. of the whole race. And my heart rate was crazy high, you know, like just doing this tiny little jog. And I was hurting and I thought, I'm not acclimated to the heat. I don't know what I'm doing. And like, this is like, not like I might be in trouble, you know, I might be, you know, I might just collapse. Like, I don't want to be the, the guy in the crew who's having the medical problem. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. That, no, definitely not. I mean, so is, does, it was Ray the same way. Like somebody's always running with him. That was a plan. I mean, and, and each time I've done it, that's been, that's been the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, the, that first seventeen miles from Badwater to Furnace Creek, you're not allowed to have pacers, right? Um, but then from then on, so that's 118 miles for the next for the last 118 miles. Each of the times I've been there, there's the plan has been to have somebody out there with him the whole time. There was one point in the middle of the night where Ray was having a low point, um, and we decided to try. And and there were two of us who were swapping pacing duties, um, and neither of us could really get him motivated or awake and we were trying to figure out what else we tried everything and and our crew chief brian um at one point said you know what let's give him his ipod tell him he's on his own for for a little bit and see how he does and i mean iso and i who were the main pacers to our uh dismay uh-huh. <laughs> he got out there on his own and did that was the best he'd done in hours uh-huh. uh, you know and so we, so we let him run by himself until i was probably like two to five a.m. or something like that because mm-hmm. once once the sun rose we, right. we went back out there but middle of the night he he was great on his own wow that's um, cool yeah but for the rest of it we were there was always one of us with him mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh you know my only point of reference really was was ultraman and on the run part of that like you're just you're doing hand there really there's some pacing but really not much you know what i mean the runners are kind of doing their own thing right and so that was my first experience at a real like ultra marathon where that kind of thing goes on. I mean, luckily, like my, you know, this, the next time I was up, I ran, I think I saw you, it was right out of, um, what, Panama. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I picked him up and, and I, and I paced him from like one thirty AM to five thirty AM. Like, and I felt great it, just cause I, it cooled down, yeah. you know? And I was like, Oh, I felt normal again. You know, like, and it wasn't like it was that warm. It was, it went, you know, it was maybe 90, 80, 70. And then it per, just before dawn, it might have hit 69 or something like that. Maybe, yeah. But, um, how was he moving then? He was, uh, he was good. You know, he, um, you know, we just, that was the ascent, right? right? So you have this big, long ascent. So, you know, I think that's the other thing people don't realize is that really nobody's running those hills. Um, not that they couldn't if they wanted to, but the amount of energy that it would take to, that you have to exert to run, your pace is not going to be that much faster than like a steady march. And so it's not worth the energy burn to pick up a couple, you know, an extra minute or two per mile. Because when, if you're just marching it, you're going to stay fresh. You're a little bit slower, but you still have like what ninety miles to go or something like <laughs> right, that. You know exactly. what I mean? So, a lot of it was just you know marching through the night and uh, and talking to him. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that I mean that that's because you're right. And most even in the hundred miles, the hundred miles that I've done, or most of them, you're not allowed to pacer until half at least halfway through the race. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is a big difference. But here, I think I think it's the like 
I mean, well, one thing I always did, and, I'm, and I bet you guys did too, is carry a spray. You know, you carry yeah, a spray, spray bottle just to keep spray. him wet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and then there was a point where I'm just with him, trying to you know make sure he stays awake and try to assess what he needs. So when we get to the to the truck or to to, to, the, to our crew truck, I could, I could tell them because mm-hmm. there were definitely points where he wouldn't have been able to communicate very well what he needed when when. When right. we got to the truck. And so all three times that you've crewed, has it been with Ray? No. No, this is my first time with Ray. Oh, okay. I, uh, I crewed um, my friend Blake Benke from New York in 2009, and then my friend Jimmy Dean, oh, uh, yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Dean, Dean Freeman right, right. Um, in 2010. Um, and both of them I knew beforehand. Ray I'd met a couple times, but um, when I was at San Diego 100, uh, there were a couple friends of mine there who were helping me through some tough spots, and I was talking to them. And one of them... Uh, Brian Recor was supposed to race this year, and he ended up having surgery. And was, long story short, was able to was able to tra- was able to to uh, transfer his entry to Ray, or somehow Ray got in, and Brian Brian and these other guys were crewing Ray, mm-hmm. and they asked me to, to come join. And uh, I was more I haven't been there in a few years, and I was right. like to go back and, and and do it again. And, um, and so, how is it um, different athlete to athlete to athlete? Like I think it's a really like you were saying, Ray, you know wouldn't always communicate to you what he needed or what he wanted. Um, you know, Dean was very different, very direct, always knew exactly what he wanted every half mile or 0.75 miles. This is what I want. And then you go and you get it to, you know, like, and he stayed on that plan pretty much. Wow. Yeah. And he was, he retained his like composure completely well, like always like, thank you, you know, okay, could you get me that? All right, great. And then every time, sometimes there's a screw up and he's like, okay, you know, just get it right next time. Like he never got, he never did that thing that, is very easy to do when you're that exhausted, which is to like explode and, you know. Yeah. No, not, I've been fortunate. Each of the three guys I've, I mean, each of the three guys I've crewed, I crewed were very different. Um, but none of them, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's always that. I, I mean, when I get tired, when I, when yeah. I get tired, I'm not, I mean, just a little bit of lack of sleep. Uh-huh. I sometimes, you know, I mean, I get, I get cranky right. and angry and, and none of them, I mean, I think Jimmy would. I don't want to want to call him out on the podcast, uh-huh. but I think he'd laugh about it. He got a little bit. Uh, he got a little bit cranky and had some, during some of his low points. But mm-hmm. but even then, I mean, it's nothing. You know, it was never anything like never anything out of what you would expect. Right? You just like okay, up. you know, he's tired. Yeah, yeah, let's just like get him sorted out. Right? You know? He needs something. <laughs> he doesn't know what he needs. I mean, the one thing is that, they, but they were different. And like Blake was very stoic and 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 almost silent the whole time. Jimmy is. He's very talkative and in, 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 in outside of Badwater, and he was still mm-hmm. pretty talkative and, and pretty animated for most of the race. Ray was somewhere in between where he uh, had a very strong focus on just moving forward, but was more a little bit more talkative. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, was hard. He 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 when he was struggling, he was he got there were times where he didn't he got he was getting frustrated because he didn't know what he needed to. You know, he's twenty hours into a race and he's having stomach issues yeah, or like, heat issues and he didn't know what to do to fix mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, I don't even know what, what did fix it, but, yeah. um, so what is, um, I mean, everyone wants to know, you know, well, there's a couple things I want to talk about. The first thing is, so there's, a, there's, you know, the legend of bad water, like, you know, you better run on the white line or your shoes are going to melt, you know, and I don't bring plastic bags and all this kind of stuff. And, and I guess there's a little bit of wives tale to that and a little bit of truth. I mean, I think the pavement really was like 175 degrees, you know, it's like you spit on it and it sizzles, yeah. you know, uh, does that mean that all the runners are, 
you know, running only on the white line? Like, no, not really. I mean, I didn't, you know. I didn't see that. Yeah, I didn't see that either. I think that, you know, they do, there was a sign, there was a sign somewhere. Was it, was it at Furnace Creek that, or there was something posted that like a request to tourists to stop um, frying eggs on the pavement. So, I mean. Oh, unless, I didn't see that really. It, or maybe yeah. it was on. It, it, it was somewhere. It was actually, it's the first time I'd seen it, but I saw it this year. And so people must actually do that. And the pavement is hot enough uh-huh. for that. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't see people, you, you don't see people running just in the white no. line. But you see people doing, you know, bizarre things to, you know, lower their core temperature. Like, you know, it seems counterintuitive that you would put so much clothes on, you know, so much white clothing and that kind of heat. But you can those sleeves they they retain the moisture longer so it takes longer for it to evaporate which keeps you cooler longer you can pack them with ice you know it deflects the sun like all these kinds of things um and you know did you have a dunk tank in your you know the dirty water the dirty ice the gray ice or what do they call it yeah i mean we just called uh i don't even know what we called it this year but yeah we had we had a small cooler that we had like the the bandanas and those was pretty gross. Right. But, like, I mean, change of shirt, like you pull it out of the ice, you change shirts and put on the cold oh, shirt or something like that. that. That's uh-huh. a smart idea. Uh-huh. I think that in the past, in, it was it in Dean's book where we talked about that big coffin cooler where he actually like yeah. laid down in it. Did you guys have that this year? No, we didn't. I want to talk about that because he was telling that story during the race too, that one year, I can't remember what year it was that he was doing it where he was, he was really hurting and, this guy comes up, you know, drives up and he says, get in the coffin. And he thought he was hallucinating. Like he thought like it was the grim reaper telling him he was dead, you know? <laughs> and he's like, no, you got to get in the coffin. And in fact, you know, the coffin is this, it was just the nickname for this thing that he had filled with ice that you could lay in to, to cool your core temperature down quickly. Yeah, I mean, And I didn't see that out there. And I know that when Scott Jurek won, you know, a big part of his equation was like having these literally bathtubs full of ice that he could, that he would submerge his entire, he'd stop, he'd submerge his entire body in it for five minutes or whatever and go again. And that seems to make great sense. And I didn't see anybody doing it out there. I didn't see it either. And I never have actually. I mean, I know that, I'm trying to think what, because I mean, you definitely, you have ice in the bandana, you have ice in the hat, you have ice, I'm I'm sure in sleeves and shirts, but I've never seen. The difference is that you know, when you're, when you get that hot you can throw as much ice on you as you want, but like you're overheated. Like, so short of stopping and going into a cool environment and letting your body like, you know, calm down, you're not going to be able to like get a, get control over it. You know what I mean? So the ice bath seems like, I don't know why, you know, I guess you'd have to have a big enough car. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it would, it's too difficult. It would be too big and too unwieldy or whatever, but Smart idea. I don't know. I mean, all right. So when you do it next year, we'll make sure that you have an <laughs> ice tub. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We'll see. But um, <clears throat> and uh, so um, so yeah. To control the heat, you have the ar- the I call them arm warmers. They're not they're arm coolers. I guess really. so, yeah. Putting ice in there. The the all the hats have um, the flaps down the you know the back that cover your neck. Uh, putting ice in the hat. The spray bottles, which are like these um, industrial gardening tools like that with like automatic, things. yeah, they're like, and see, yeah, exactly, with like automatic sprays. You just literally, I just be running behind Dean with it on automatic and it's just spraying him, you know? Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is how quickly, I mean, especially during the, the, the heat of the day, you can douse the shirt, douse the hat, and within 
mean, it's dry. Minutes, it's it's bone dry. Yeah, it's dry. It's crazy. One question that I asked, um, well, Jason Coop, who is again Dean's like main crew guy, and he'd he'd run uh, Badwater before. He he's a he's a um, ultra distance runner, but also a coach at Carmichael Training Systems in oh, Colorado yeah. Springs. So he like really knows his stuff. Super experienced you know, helped crew Dean, you know, in his run across America and like really knows everything. Um, and he had done bad water. He did it with a stress fact fracture and I guess was in second place by the time he got into Darwin where it just kind of unraveled on him. And he ended up having to literally like essentially walk from Darwin all the way to the finish, wow. you know? <laughs> and what is that? Anyway, I mean, not mile 90 or something. Yeah. Like Darwin something like 90, that. That's, a, 45 that's miles. a long walk. Yeah. Was, <laughs> wow. I think he said he, he told his crew ahead of time, it's either going to be a 24 hour day or a 48 hour day, oh. but it's not going to be anything in between. <laughs> so, um, but he was saying, I asked him, I said, well, why doesn't, you know, it seems like somebody should have invented, um, a vest with like, you know, those coolant packs in it or something that you could just wear that would be comfortable and wouldn't rub, but would like, would really keep your core cool. And I think that there's some kind of rule. It's weird. There's some kind of rule delineation that doesn't allow you to have anything too like newfangled when it comes to cooling your body. Like oh, certain things are okay and certain things aren't. So I don't know where you draw that line. Um, but it seems like, you know, why wouldn't everybody just be wearing vests when you could just swap out those cold packs in them or something like that but you don't you don't see that either i've never seen that you're right yeah. and they actually have i've seen like they have compression clothes now that have that, that like like i've seen yeah. compression shorts or like you've seen you know the yeah. time trial cyclists wear those when they're warming up That's right you know they, they exist and you'd think if there was any place there, there couldn't be any place more appropriate for those no. than running bad water right that's against the, it must be against it's gotta the be it's yeah. gotta be so, you know, we're doing a podcast on this. We should know the answer to that. <laughs> right. It's like, we're just a bunch of knuckleheads. Exactly. You know? Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the shoes. Everyone is like, what kind of shoes they wear? Are, they, is, are the soles melting? And I didn't see soles melt, but one thing I did learn, and, and again, this is a, you know, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance here, but I'd never seen these Hoka shoes that everyone was wearing. Oh yeah, which look like kind of like uh, orthopedic nurse shoes. Like they're the ugliest running shoes you've ever seen, but they're all the runners are wearing them. And Dean was like, "Oh yeah, they're great. You know, they they can they can account for like twenty five thirty percent. You know, better feeling in your feet. Like they have these huge heels on them. And I guess when the pavement's that hot or you're just pounding on the pavement, they're effective. I don't know. I've never run in them. Have you run in them? I or? tried them once at, uh, I mean, cause they, they're now, it was probably, it's probably like in the last three years where they've really gained in popularity. And, uh, I tried them at a store in, in, in LA once just ran around the block and them. They feel really weird. I mean, uh -huh. they're, they're super cushy. They're super cushioning. And I guess I'm sure that if you, if you run in them for a little, I'm sure you can get used to it very quickly. For me, I ran around the block and I decided I, I was already predisposed against them. I were pretty minimal. Uh -huh. um, low profile shoes anyways, but, um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, you didn't like I, them. I, I thought they were too little, too weird. Um, but they're definitely weird, but everybody I know who runs in them, I mean, I, the, the people I know who run in them regularly swear by them. I mean, would never uh -huh. almost probably wouldn't wear anything else. And for like training and everything, training, or just for racing, like running a race like that. Yeah, I mean, even trail races. Really? Yeah. I mean, they, I, I think that the, what they, is it about them? You don't, I mean, well, obviously you don't feel that the ground, uh -huh. so you have a lot of cushioning, um, and you can just, my friends who wear them say they just 
fly downhill and I've seen them because it's just sort of like bounding on clouds and you can just bounce and I mean fly downhill. I'm sure going uphill is probably a little bit harder, but it it completely counters the whole like born to run, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Movement. Well, you know, I think that, I think that again, probably shouldn't say this on a podcast where I don't know for sure, but I think they're pretty low. You know, there's that like drop the, the zero drop thing. Yeah. I think they are like zero or, yeah, they look pretty even all the way across. It would look like just, if you just added like two inches of, you know, padding beneath your shoe, yep. like evenly across the bottom. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. they look more like moon boots than they do like running shoes. But there are, I mean, there are a lot. And of, to be clear, like Dean didn't wear them the whole, you know, he he wore lots of different pairs of shoes. Like, um, but it was just one, there were the ones that I was like, what are those? Like, I don't even, I've never even seen these things before makes a lot of sense out there. I didn't even think about it. Like the insulation from the heat. Sure. And, uh-huh. to, and because I'm sure that the foot pounding is probably 40, 37 yeah. hours or whatever it is, or yeah, 30 yeah. hours. Just Well, and your feet feel the heat, you yeah. know, like I showed you my shoes after <laughs> yeah. we're done, you know, like I just wore my old worn out pair of Asics that were already like, you know, pretty worn in. And, uh, and just like, I think just because dripping sweat on them, the salt, and then constantly drying out and the flexing, the whole upper mesh just like tore in a couple of places on both shoes. Yeah. They just came apart. Yeah, I'm sure from the, yeah, exactly. The, the, just baking in the sun for two days, right. day and a half. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so what does Ray eat? Ray ate, he, he, he had a plan going in and then changed it as his stomach. He had some stomach issues. And so he started on mostly liquid on this, uh, it's an Herbalife drink called 24 that I'd never heard Mm. of 24. I'd never seen before. Um, but you know, it had some protein, electrolytes, carbohydrates. And he started using that. His plan was to use that and then switch to gels much later. Um, but he ate, I mean, we had, he had peanut butter sandwiches. He had some turkey sandwiches. He had Mm. that. He had gels. He had, um, Cliff blocks. Um, he had a piece of pizza at one point, which right. the pizza actually helped turn it around pro- in, in a huge way. I think he really needed that that food. Some real, real food, real big calories. Yeah, um, but he he was a little bit more. Well, no, actually, that's not true. Each of the three guys that I've crewed were sort of had a plan going in, but had you know boxes of other stuff just in case, and then just right. all over the place. Right, and, right, right. You know, yeah, I think for the crew, you know, when you pack the van, it's about having as many options as possible, knowing that, you know, there might only be a couple of those that the guy's actually going to want or use, but you have to be prepared for right. everything and you have to know where everything is. So the back of these vans are like very well organized. You have, like we said before, you have one cooler that's full of like dirty ice where you can dunk clothes and and maybe, you know, keep bottles that are already full cool. And then you have one that's just, at least in our van, we had one that was just ice, clean ice for drinking. Then we had a yep. drinking water cooler. And then we had another cooler with food, with ice on food and like other like, you know, p- products that we wanted to keep cold, like coconut water and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's exactly, that's exactly what we had, yeah. And then we had um, like a one of those plastic chest of drawers where we kept other stuff like medical stuff, you know, scissors and tape and, um, you know, sunscreen and chapstick and 
different pairs of sunglasses, like all that kind of stuff. So you have to know where all that stuff is because he runs up and it's like, I need this. And you have a half mile to like drive up and get it and then run out and give it to him. And you, if you don't know where it is, you're going to miss that drop. Yeah. Yeah. No, we weren't as organized as that. That chest of drawers is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had bins and that, that's what we've done before, like label bins, those little plastic like right. shoe bin things. But to have it, but by there are certain points in the race where you're like, okay, well, where's the bin that has this? Well, and stuff gets, I mean, you know, like it starts to get disorganized quick. You go in, it's super organized. Yeah. And then like 10 hours in, you're like, I don't know where anything is anymore. You know, the, the, I don't know if, I, I, I bet it was the same for you guys, but like that first, because you can crew in the first 17 miles, you're not where you're not allowed pacers, you can crew. Mm-hmm. And that's when the guy's moving the fastest and you're going every mile and those miles are going by and, eight or 10 minutes. And right. I, that's always been, each time I've been there, it's always the most hectic time. And you're wondering, and you're talking, because as soon as you get him what he needs that time, you're already planning and yeah. giving him for the next time. And it's, there is no break yeah. because you think like, oh, it's chill. They're running, you know, and they're going slow by the way. So like, you'll be able to drive up, you can hang out and relax. And then when he comes up, he'll tell you what he needs and you can walk up. No way. Like, yeah, it was like, Basically, you know, they, and when, when somebody starts pacing them, they're carrying three or four bottles. Yeah. Your runner's carrying at least one bottle, if not two. So they just drop all their empties. This is what we did. They just drop, drop them all on the ground. So there's four or five or six bottles suddenly <laughs> like on the pavement. And then they tell you what they, and you're handing them the new ones, right? And whatever else they need, food or whatever. Yeah. And then they're saying, here's what I need next. You got to collect all the empty bottles. You got to go back to your van. You got to rinse them out. You got to refill them with whatever they want. Get all of that ready, jump in the van, drive half a mile, three quarters of a mile up the road, hop out, get it all out, run across the street. And by the time you're there, there they are again, yeah. you're handing it off. And then it just repeats. And, you know, 135 miles and you're stopping, you know, you're, you're talking about like 300 stops. Probably. You yeah. Know, 200, at least 200. Yeah, yeah, at least 200. You know, it, it, it is, it's amazing. I, rem- I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to maintain this for however many hours it's uh-huh. going to take. But you do, you get, I, I'm sure you Just get into, get that, into a sort of that rhythm mm-hmm. where, and, and it does as it slows down. I mean, cause there are like those 20 minute miles and 25 minute miles where you finally get to catch your breath and think about it. But for the most part, you're just not, you don't even, you can't even really, you don't have time to, to, to think no, or take pictures or do anything. Yeah, I know. I know people, <laughs> people were, sending me tweets and stuff saying, Oh, you got to do a podcast with, are you going to do a podcast with Dean? And oh, you got to talk to Charlie angle and like David Goggins and don't forget to get this guy too. It was like, I didn't bring my podcast up. Like I knew at least I knew enough to know that like there wasn't going to be any time for anything other than being completely focused on taking care of your athlete. And as a crew member, that's what you're there for. You're not there for anything having to do with you. You're there to be of service to them completely. And it's a great, it's a really great experience in giving yourself over to somebody else like for their goal, you know? And it's like, I've had, I've had the good fortune of having people crew for me for races and it's like high time that I repaid that favor and, and have that experience. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it really is, you know, it sounds like nonsense when the athlete at the end says, well, I couldn't have done it without my crew or, you know, we did it together. This is a victory for all of us. But like, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Like they, you know, you really have to have a well-oiled machine to perform well at a race like that. Yeah, definitely true. I mean, <laughs> patting myself on the back, patting yourself yeah. on the back a little bit, but it's no, true. But it's, yeah, there's it's no true. way. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think there's there could be a sense out there just for people who are listening, like, oh yeah, it's great, you have crew, like, oh, you just cater the race the whole way, you know. It's like it's that's not. I'm telling you, you know, that is not what it's like. No, definitely not. You know? no. and uh, you know, it's it really it can become it become it can become like a really complicated equation, especially when you have three, four, five people crewing to get everybody in sync. And more often than not, there you know there's crew meltdowns and dissension among your crew, and they people are not getting along, and they're sleep deprived, and and you know once that happens, like your athlete is the one who's going to suffer yeah. because you know these two guys aren't getting along and are fighting. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, we didn't. I, I yeah, we, we were fortunate. It didn't. Yeah, we didn't that. have yeah, that. Sure we didn't have that it, at all. But it's definitely. But, I mean, I'm sure it happens. There's no way. It oh yeah, happen. of course it does. You put five people or four or whatever it is, six people in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a hot overheated messy dirty truck for 30 plus 40 hours of course yeah, you're definitely gonna get that yeah so um so he's eating sandwiches he had some pizza he did do gels he did yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and what was he drinking in his bottles he had well one bottle <laughs> he, he did i mean a lot of it was just water a lot of it was just i i mean mm-hmm. the, the crazy thing is we started off and you know, we're putting water in the bottles with, you know, some ice and a lot of water in the bottles. And then quickly realized that the better way to do it was to just as much ice as possible in the bottle and then uh-huh. a little bit of water in there because it's going right. to melt in five seconds anyway. Right. So, yeah, we were doing the same thing. Yeah. So he did a lot of water in the bottles, but he also did that, that, that Herbalife 24 drink. He did another, like, electrolyte drink. He did some coconut water. He drank some Coke. Um that that was pretty much mm-hmm. uh, so, oh he, he some chia seeds that 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 he used right um, yeah I think it's a really I think if you pulled all the athletes and had them make a list of what they ate throughout the race like they would all tell very different tales you know I think it's a really personal thing and and uh, you know when you start to get tired and you're really at the limit and you're kind of losing it you turn into like this crazed pregnant woman, you know, with these bizarre <laughs> cravings and, you know, either you don't know what you want or you have this very specific desire for something that is just downright strange. You know, like at one point Dean was, Dean said, I want cottage cheese with avocado and potato chips mashed into it. You know, just put <laughs> it in a bowl, mash it up with a fork. You know, I was like, all right, you do it. You know, like just bizarre, weird things. Like he just, that was what his brain was telling him at that moment, you know? Is that something that, that he had, pl- I mean, obviously he must've planned on it because he can't, it's hard to get that. Well, we there. had all those things, you know, we had all those things on tap. I don't know whether that was like a go-to thing for him or not, right. but you it's know. It's such a weird combination. Yeah, I know, I know. So, but I'll, but the one thing, you know, I think there's also this idea for people out there that aren't familiar with ultra running that, or at least this race, that these guys are just drinking Gatorade and doing gels the whole time. And I can tell you that that is absolutely not the case. Like more real food, whole food than, than not, you know, in the balance of things. Yeah. Uh, it's too long. You, you couldn't do it. And Dean didn't, we had no gels and wow. we had no, none of, no Powerade, Gatorade, none of that kind of stuff. Wow. So, um, and he would drink, Tons of water. I mean, and by the way, like I'm drinking, I'm hammering 16 to 20 ounces every 30 minutes, 20 minutes. And I was just getting progressively more and more dehydrated just being in the crew. Like I only urinated like once, you know, and I was like, yeah, it was like, you know, and I, I couldn't believe how much water I was putting away. But he would drink tons and tons of water, but no electrolyte drinks, like no electrolyte laced anything. 
you Where know, and I was getting- like, aren't you going to get hyponatremia? You know, but he would eat other foods. And I think he's just so, I mean, he's so used to doing this on, on a certain level, I suppose. Um, but it was interesting to kind of see what his choices are. I mean, a lot of coconut water. Right. But not like, you know, he's not drinking like, quote unquote, like electrolyte drinks. Sure. You know? Was he taking salt pills? No. Uh-uh. Oh, wow. Um, Jason, our crew guy, had some Endurolites and stuff, and I started taking those. And I was like, I can't believe he's not taking, you know, he's not taking salt tabs. And it's like, no, he doesn't. This is the way he does it. Wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, we relied, all of us, it, Ray was uh, not, that's the other thing Ray was taking. We were t- giving him S caps, another mm-hmm. brand of, uh, of salt pills every 30 minutes or every hour at most. And then, and, and all the, the whole crew was taking them as well. That's amazing that Dean was doing it without yeah. that. Well, he was eating other things. Like, sure. I mean, he, you know, he knows what he needs, you know, to keep his electrolytes in balance. And he's done that race where they got out of whack. And, you know, I think he, he knows what that feels like. So we certainly weren't going to do that. But, but way more like whole foods than, you know, you would think for running a race. Right. You know, and, and a lot less like artificial kind of stuff. Yeah. So. It was interesting, you know. I mean, I learned so much just to just just to be there and to witness the whole thing, you know. It is. It's it's amazing, and and I mean, watching people, how far. I mean, I saw this with Ray, and I'm sure, and see with it, like how far down people can go and still come back. And, yeah, and that's the thing. Going. Like you think just because you're feeling horrible and you think it's over, that story has yet to be told. You know what I mean? Like you see people who look like there's no way it's it's done, you know, and then they bounce back and pull themselves up and look like a completely different person a couple hours later. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there were 90, I think a hundred people in and 96 starters. And I think there were 80, 14 people who dropped or yeah, something like, like that. 81 finish, something like that. I mean, that's a pretty mm-hmm. high finish rate. And right. especially because if you look, I mean, there were people I saw out there who I did not, definitely did not think we're going to, or pretty early in the race uh-huh. who I thought we're not going to be able to make another 120 or a hundred miles or whatever. And, and they do. It's, it's really amazing. I know. It's incredible. Like, so, you know, you finish the race. Dean finished it in 32 hours and change or whatever it is. And, wow. and you know, you're up there in the pine forest and he shakes some hands and does some interviews and, you know, you do the deal and then we're driving and then you drive back down to go down to your little hotel at the in Lone Pine, which is 13 miles down the hill from the finish line. And uh, we're driving down. I saw you guys coming up. Right. You know, you weren't that far back from where we were. And, uh, and you know, we went, we cleaned out the vans. We took showers. We got cleaned up. You know, we just, we took care of Dean. We did all that kind of stuff. We went out to dinner, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you and, and there's people coming in, you know. It's midnight and everyone sets up lawn chairs like out on the main drag in Lone Pine and cheers these guys on as they come in through the night. And then you go to bed and then you wake up the next morning and come out and there's still people coming in and you're like, oh my God, it's, it's they're great. coming in at 48 hours on kind of the 40, you know, 42, 44 hour mark. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, it really is. The other thing is that there's so many people at this rate. I mean, everybody has to have their, you know, own like amazing life story, you know, that kind of led them to that place. And for me, like a couple personal heroes were there, you know, people I'd never met before, like Dave Goggins was there. Right. And I didn't even know 
he, I didn't know that he was competing. I think it was his first time uh, doing that race in like 10 years. So I think it's been a while. Has it been? been that I don't know. It's been it's been a while. I know it's been a while. Maybe even I could be wrong, but you know he had he you know he took that extended break from ultra racing. He had that he had like a heart thing, yeah. right? That could have been his first one back, or he must have done something to lead up to this. But he must have. But yeah, I mean, I remember. I don't think it was ten years because I remember when. I mean, there the story was something. I mean, or the the story was that if he ever ran maybe, again oh, in yeah, those kind it, of conditions, he, he his heart. There's a good chance his heart would go out. Right. I mean, and maybe 2006 or seven or something like that. I think might have been the last time he did it. Um, Yeah. So I don't know how that got resolved, but he was out there, man. And you know, he was running kind of toe to toe with Dean um, for a long time. So I was able to kind of just watch him, and he was being paced by Ferg Hawk, who's a legendary character in ultra running, and he's he's the guy who kind of uh, you know sort of created bad water lore because he would, he, I think he was the first guy to put a treadmill on a sauna Something and like train that. like that. Yeah. <laughs> or like put winter coats on and put a treadmill on and go, go in his sauna and train. Cause I think he lives up in Canada or something to yeah. get the heat acclimation, yeah. which just, you know, plays into the kind of elevated lore of, of bad water. Um, but to watch David and you were talking about how, you know, people come back from lows and, you know, at one point, you know, I think his electrolytes were off or something was going on. Like he was having a low moment and was, was struggling. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it, you know, and his, you know, his the whole quote thing is, you know, I don't, I don't stop running when I'm tired. I stop when I'm done, you know, <laughs> I was like, we'll see, you know, and right. like, yeah. And then, you know, he kind of fell back to like maybe 10 or 20 minutes behind Dean, but then we never saw him again. And I didn't, you know, we didn't know if he dropped out or whether he just fell way back or what was going on. And then he just kind of maintained that gap the whole time and finished, you know, right behind Dean, like saw it through, man. It's amazing. It's just insane. Yeah. And then uh, Charlie Engel, yep. too, is a personal favorite of mine. Um, do you he know, do you know him at all? He had an incredible race. I yeah. think he set the record for, the Masters record yeah, the Masters yeah. record. So for people that don't, that don't know... He's an incredibly colorful character with an incredible backstory. Like he is a recovering crack addict and has this crazy like addiction and recovery story. Um, you know, sort of gets his life back, gets into ultra running, does does some pretty spectacular things in the ultra running world, including uh, running across the Sahara. So you might remember him from that documentary. Right. Um, and then got caught up in uh, some sort of real estate dealings do you know the details of this i mean it was there was a couple profiles on him in the new york times over the last couple years he ended up getting busted for mortgage fraud um and i I don't want to i don't know anything because if you you can read many different stories of course um but yeah i mean he he, it was mortgage fraud so it had it had you know it had something to do with um overstating or understating income when they were kind of just giving out mortgages without really double checking on anything and from what I understand, he really wasn't doing anything all that different from what a lot of people were doing. You know, it was kind of a standard practice thing. Um, but for whatever reason, some regulator decided that he wanted to make an example out of Charlie and kind of took him to the mat. And Charlie ended up going to prison for quite a quite a extended period, like yeah. two years, three years. Something I can't like remember that. how long, but it was, you know, it wasn't like a short stay. And um, there was an article about him in uh 
either this month's or last month's, one of those magazines like Outside or Men's Journal, um, kind of about a little bit about his experience in prison and how he tried to maintain his running. And he would did, he did his own like self-styled bad water in the prison. He'd, oh, really? run, he'd run around the prison yard or the track, whatever track they had there, as much as they would allow him like every single day until he accumulated like 135 miles <laughs> <laughs> and he got like a lot of the guys in the, a lot of the other inmates into running right. and, you know, has created a bond with these guys. I mean, he's an amazing dynamic, you know, character and to see him like come out. I mean, he's a guy with nine lives. Right. Yeah. And then he comes out of that experience and shows up at Badwater and gets fifth place and sets the men's record. I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. Yeah. Oh Yeah. So you can follow him on Twitter at he's at Charlie Engel, E N G L E. Should check him out. Yeah, it's an amazing story. So I, I want to read that guy's book. Uh, I'm sure he's sure got yeah, right. I, he, I hope he is. Yeah. I want to read it, you know. I guess bad this Badwater would probably be a nice like final chapter. You know, I was super high and then I was yeah. in jail and look what I did. Now I've done that, you know, yeah. came out of that low and that life low. Mm-hmm. And uh master's record it's crazy right it's amazing good story so and i'm sure there's a bunch of people with you know equally amazing stories that just aren't as well known as a guy like charlie is but did you see the guy with the prosthetic yes yeah so tell tell i don't know i don't know i meant to go back and look i saw him on the course and then when i was flipping through some of the pictures yesterday on somewhere i mean it might have been in the in the buzzfeed ones or somewhere Mm -hmm. else but yeah there's a guy with one of those uh like cheetah the running prosthetics, who's right? Out there. I think he has a one prosthetic arm. Oh yeah, also. you're right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I think I think he's from the UK. I heard him speaking. Definitely had a British accent. Um, he, I think it was a helicopter crash or something like that. Wow. Uh, I don't know how he lost his limb, and I don't know if it was in military action or what happened. But um, yeah, he and he finished. I think he did. He, I, I think he think did. So. Yeah, you know what? I don't. I'm. I think he did. Yeah, I think I'm not so. Sure, I, but I uh, but it, well, it wasn't his first time, though. No, yeah, no, it wasn't his first time there either. <laughs> yeah. And there's been other. I mean, there's a there's that woman again uh, that I can't remember her name who's who's done it with the prosthetic. I don't know if she finished. She was there in 2010 when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's it, it. Actually, on this note, like last night, I was going through some of the pictures online with my wife, and and in looking at the people, I mean, like you look at the front runners, like there's Oswaldo Lopez who came in third this year, and he looks like. He, he looks like a runner in the pictures. Oh, yeah. He's I running. thought he's winning it for sure when I saw him. Awesome. He kind of ran off the front in the first 17 miles right. and just looked like – he looks like a guy who's going to win the race. Exactly. But then you flip through those photos, and there are plenty of people in there who, who you know, you, you can't help but judge by looking at them or they're like – who don't look like they should be out there running 135 miles, and those people finish. Yeah, it's, it's, I know. It's it, it really, really impressive. Though. It is how these people push, how everybody just pushes themselves. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like you don't have to, you don't have to be, you don't have to look like that typical runner. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. I mean, th- these are not like, you know, a hundred people that all look like bean poles. No. Not at all. You <laughs> no. know, they, ca- they, people came in all shapes and varieties, really tall people, really short people, slender, slim, little, little runner looking yeah. dudes. And, and, uh, and people, you know, with a good, you know, extra, 20, 25 pounds on them too, you yeah. know? Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, well, I guess David Dawkins isn't, isn't 
but he he's taller. I mean, there there are some like he looked I mean, pretty lean. He was he lean, was, he was lean looking now. pretty yeah. lean. I mean, that's a guy who I think at one point was like two eighty three, and now he's like one eighty three. Like I think he's like a hundred pounds. Oh, let's talk about him for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. This is a guy who like eight or nine months ago went for the world record in pull-ups, you know, like he's on the today show. They did a 24 hour, like see how many pull-ups you can do. Do you know what he did? Was it like 10,000 or it was some insane number. And he was, he was definitely way ahead of pace in terms of breaking the record, but then he injured, he had some kind of weird injury. I don't know if it was in his wrist or something like that and had to call it a day. Um, but here's a guy who's obviously, you know, an incredible strength athlete, anybody who can do that right? Some ungodly number of pull-ups and he's on national television right. doing it. And then fast forward, he's running bad water. You yeah. know, like who has that range as an athlete? Well, he's a Navy SEAL. He's a SEAL, know. right? He's a yeah. Navy SEAL. Yeah. He Perfect. is. And it's certainly mental fortitude and, and all of that is a huge component of it. But, but to be able to have that level of strength and that level of endurance at the same time. Insane. You know, they need to invent a new sport for that guy <laughs> <laughs> that combines those things better because he would be indomitable, you know? Yeah. So I just think he's remarkable. I mean, I think that guy is super inspiring and, and, uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. Did anybody do a, do du- you know, did anybody do a double this year? I don't think anybody did. Um, for a lot of years they did. A lot of years. Yeah. So uh, do you know anyone who's done that? Well, I know, do you know Danny Westergaard? No, Danny uh-huh. lives in uh, PV or somewhere down in the South Bay, and he's done. I mean, and and when he does, when most people do the double, they finish. I mean, the original Badwater course went to Mount Whitney Portal and then went up right. to the top of Mount Whitney for 146 right. miles. Right, and so when people do the double or more, mostly they do they they they, they finish, and then sometimes they'll go straight ahead, or sometimes they'll sleep for a few. They'll go back down, sleep for a few hours, mm-hmm. and then climb Mount Whitney up to. At twelve thousand feet or whatever it is. Fourteen. Fourteen thousand feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then come back down and then go in reverse back to back to Badwater. Right. And Danny, I think he's done either five or six, you know, five five or six, like you know, uh, so three back and forth or two and no, a half back oh and forth. I don't know how long it takes him. But yeah, I mean, there are people almost every year who do at least who do a double. Uh-huh. I know um Shan for our griefer has done that. And I think she did summit Mount Whitney to go back. And she, she lives around here. She's like the local ultra running queen. And, you know, she's well known in Badwater circles and, you know, she's quite, quite accomplished. Um, Unfortunately, she DNF'd this year. I don't know what happened. I heard it. Um, I um, I talked to one of her crew members and they said it was, I think it was much more than just to say stomach simplifies it, I think. But I think she was having pretty severe stomach issues. Mm. Um, And I guess, you know, like we were saying before, a lot of times you can come out of that, but they're, I mean, I'm sure those 14 people who dropped right. or whatever it was, they weren't coming. Uh, no, yeah, nobody yeah. drops that by choice. They were not coming out of, uh, no. out of whatever they were. No, no, they no. Were. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, no one, no one wants to DNF and certainly not her. So I'm sure yeah. it had to have been considerable, um, to go out there. I, uh, I rented a, I just rented a car down the street here at local car rental place. I was like, I'm going to take this into insane heat. I'm going to leave it there for two days. Like, I don't know how my car is going to handle that. Like, I just really don't want to break down. So I'm just going to get a cheap rental car. Uh, so I do that. And I, and I, I drove back, um, when I got back the other night or when I returned the rental car, what was it? Thursday morning. 
I pull it in to park it like here in Calabasas, you know, and there's a bad water crew van, like <laughs> Shannon's crew. She was returning her van oh, yeah. too. And I was like, cause it's, it's so weird because when you're in that bad water universe, it's like, you're a million miles away from anything. Like it doesn't relate to anything else in your life. And then to like, and then you put it behind you by driving away and you're like, all right, that's way over there now. Like I'm back in my world. And then to like see a van from that, like, you know, parked right next to where I was returning my car. It was like, oh, that's bizarre. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Were the stickers still on there? Yeah, she had yeah. it. Had It was all, you know, you people paint and draw all over their vans with their names right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I knew. Yeah, it I said, you know, true, number right? 15, Shannon, from, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> so um, what else, man? think i mean it's uh those are those are the the, the biggest things that that you know i mean the the, the thing that, that when i describe it to people it's sort of like because you know people are like my friends even my friends who appreciate ultra some of them who, mm-hmm. who not necessarily the runners but the ones who appreciate the ultra running that i do and the endurance sports the question is is why or what right what, how is it you know because i come back and i'm all jazzed i'm like that's so much fun and their question is what do you mean fun how could that be fun and it's like this like crazy sort of summer camp for you know, crazy ultra runners where right. like the time at Furnace Creek, the few days before the race, you, everybody, people get to know each other. Cause there are people mm-hmm. who, I mean, this year, I think there were multiple people going for their 10th. Uh, I, you know, I mean, Ray was on his sixth in a row. I'm mm-hmm. sure Dean's done. Dean was, that, that was his right? 11th start, but his 10th finish. So his 10th finish. Yeah. I mean, there are multiple people out there who are going, who are going for their 10th finish. I mean, these people, and a lot of them have the same crew over and over again, or the crew has raced before. Yeah. It's a pretty cool, like, community. It definitely, it definitely is. It's a unique community. I mean, you, and you have, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you have, like, the crazy characters, too, like the jester. There's yeah. a guy who's run it. Is He's done it a couple times. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's second or third time doing it. He wears, like, a jester outfit for the whole, like, a jester hat, but also, like, a whole getup of, yeah. like, long tights and, like, all this kind of stuff. And the guy in the grass skirt, like, the pink grass skirt that you <laughs> right. were talking about. Um, Ultraman, there's a guy. That, I, and I was telling Dean, I was like, yeah, every ultra race has their character like that. Like, Ultraman, there's a guy called Cowman. It's like a legendary. Oh, I've heard of him. You know, I've never Cal seen Man. him. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're like, you know, horns on you yeah. know, the whole thing. So it's, it's something about these races attract those those kind of guys. And they're great. And when we were at the um, pool, I saw you there when they were taking the picture of all the athletes and everyone's congregated around this pool the day before the race at this weird Oasis hotel. Right. And I was like, oh, this is like spring break for ultra runners, right. you know, <laughs> like yeah, totally. in some weird way. It is. I mean, it's like it's like family, you know, because you're right. That point you made before, you're a million miles away. I mean, your cell phone works, but you're so busy that you don't. It's not like you can be mm-hmm. connected to. I mean, nobody's doing work, work, or very few people, I assume. Right. And I mean, even talking to your family back home is is just because you're so busy and you're so wrapped up in everything, and your reception's not good. It is. It's like a yeah, that other world. For it is. To put it in perspective, though, Dean had. The day before the race, he turned in the manuscript for his next book. So he had <laughs> been there a week earlier, just training and acclimating to the heat and trying to finish a book. He got it in the day, and then before. got it, yeah, and then got it in, and then runs. Wow, that's an, that's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, that's insane. That's, uh, I know. And then he was going to Vegas to catch a flight to the Copper Canyon. And then from there, I think he had to do like some North Face appearances in Chicago. Like he's on the road for like weeks, you know, like 
with this it's 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 quite a it's quite an interesting life his copper canyon race is tomorrow i think saturday, saturday yeah yeah, yeah saturday, saturday morning, yeah. morning yeah it'd be interesting to see it so that's i mean i'm sure there's a bunch of guys i mean you know like ray Keith, right uh, dean it'd be interesting to see or to talk like talk to them afterwards and see like i guess they do this right that's I what mean, they do it's, it's, and like dean was like you know we drove back through furnace creek together because i had to get my car and he was on his way to vegas and he's like, I'm good to go, ready to go, man. Like, I didn't know, I didn't think I would be the other day, but he's like, now I'm psyched to go down there and run, you know, like 100K, like literally a couple days after. And a totally different experience order. where, I mean, any of these guys, even a 100 miler, I mean, the, 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 what the US record for 100 miler is, well, these guys aren't running US record, but I think Ray's done a 16 hour 100 miler, and I'm sure Dean's done one somewhere in that range. Right. And, I mean, which it's still a long time to be out there, but that's almost twice as fast average minute or yeah, probably twice as fast average minute mile pace. And if he's going down to do hundred K, I mean the, the, the pacing is so oh, different. It's totally I mean, different. It's different. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you look at, you look at the course profile for bad water and it's, it's, it's impossible to forget because it's on the back of everyone's t-shirt <laughs> and you're constantly looking at it. Uh, but you know, the, the first third of the race is essentially completely flat. Yeah. Right. And then you have these crazy mountain passes and ups and downs and, you know, culminating in this super steep ascent up, up Mount Whitney. But when you look at that and that's, you know, all you have to go on, you think, Oh, they're going to be blazing for, through the first double marathon. You know, they will be there. They should be looking at, let's see, first double marathon, some of the greatest runners in the world, you know, I don't know how many hours, you know, they'll, they'll be passing through that in like nine hours, you know, I don't know, Fast. something I like mean, that. Yeah, I mean, for a double, like, you know, right. some of these guys run that. They're, the guys do 50 milers and mountain 50 milers in five and six hours these days. Right. I mean. So, so how many hours had, a, had gone by when we hit the double marathon mark for the leaders? I don't even remember. I mean, I think that it took two hours to get to mile 17 and that was the fastest mm -hmm. two hours of the race. Right. So, by far. Oh, by yeah, a landslide. Yeah, yeah, by a landslide. I mean, that was the yeah. only place where everyone was really running. 52. It was, it was, oh, I remember 52. I actually, that's where I think I saw you guys first and it was cooling down. I mean, it was getting to, it was six o'clock at night. I mean, I think it was yeah. 10 hours for at least 10 hours. Oh, at least. At least 10 hours for, for the, those 52 miles. Yeah, I think it was at least 10. So 10, some of the, some of the most accomplished ultra runners in the world and they're running a relatively flat course for most of that. Yeah. And it's still taking them 10 hours to run a double marathon. So that's, that, that's, that's where you really, if you understand running and pace, like that's where you go, Oh, this course must really be hard. I wonder what the, what the top guys do. I don't know. I'm, oh, actually, cause you guys weren't, so we were in the 8am wave. And so there, the three waves, there's just 6am, 8am and 10am and they seed mm -hmm. them roughly by experience and speed. Right. And so we saw um, the first, the top three guys come through somewhere around around mile 40 probably. And they were flying. I mean, oh, they were yeah. still flying. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, but they're in a whole different, I mean, yeah, e even in this, thing. even in this like whole different league, they're in a whole, they're in their own like different, different right. league. But one of the coolest things that I saw was um, uh, Oswaldo, uh, Oswaldo Lopez. Yeah. And he's in a mariachi band, right? Oh, he is? Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> so, and he ended up third? Yeah, he was third. He was third, right? So, uh, and he was leading for right. significant portions of the race. And, you know, at the end of the race, he could have been pissed, you know, oh, I didn't win or whatever. Um, we were coming down 
the hill after finishing, um, coming down into Lone Pine. And he was coming out of a ice cream shop and he had an ice cream cone. And he saw, uh, he had just gotten it. Like it was, maybe he had one lick (laughs) off it. And he saw a runner making that turn to go up portals. And he just handed it to the guys. Like you take it and go. And he was like, he was just there supporting everybody, like cheerleading people on. And and I was like, just witnessing that one act of him giving that ice cream cone to that guy. I was like, oh man, that's that's what this is. You know, that's the spirit of what's going on here. It totally is. He's a special case though. He's like, I don't know if you, I, he never stopped smiling. He's the oh, yeah. friendliest. I mean, he didn't look tired at all. Yeah, no, he either. Didn't look tired. You know, <laughs> ridiculous. It's so ridiculous the way that those guys. And the next day at the at the party, he was like at the at the post rate at the, the uh-huh. award ceremony. He's like bouncing around, running yeah. around, hopping. Like, I mean, all every you know, it was amazing how good almost all the runners looked. But well, not almost all, but most of the run, a right. lot of the runners looked. But he was just like you would have. He, he looked like he just got back from just, a Hawaiian vacation right, or something. Right, exactly. You know? Run a 5K yeah. the day before. And like, I mean, exactly. he looked that good. So it's, it's, you know, again, I guess it's experience and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what, I don't know what the, how you do that. Genetics, experience, training. But, you know, he's, I mean, his attitude is, yeah. you know, that's just who that guy is, you know? Yeah, it's true. So it's pretty cool. Um Michael Arnstein uh, was there crewing for O's Pearlman. Do you know oh, him yeah. at all? I don't know. I, I mean, I I heard listen to your podcast mm-hmm. with him, right? But uh, I don't. I never. I don't know him. So he uh, <clears throat> he was he said to me uh, before the race, like at the starting line, he's like, so you know, is this something you think you might want to do? Or I said, I don't know. Ask me at the end. <laughs> you know, either I'll like never want to come back to Death Valley again, or like I'll just be totally jazzed to try to figure out a way to make this happen in my yeah. life. And so he's, so at the end he saw me and he's like, so, and I go, I don't know, I can't, you know, decide. I think honestly, like it's impossible to deny the allure of it Yeah. as ludicrous as it is. Um, there's just something so compelling about it because it's just so off the charts, unbelievable. And why would you not want to kind of find a way to participate in that? Um, but also to, you know, in a realistic world to have enough, you know, self-awareness and respect to understand that, you know, the road to showing up on the starting line of something like that is a multi-year thing. Oh yeah. Like, you know, people are tweeting me, are you signing up for next year? I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they would never, you know, like I, I have, you know, a lot of things to go, that would have to be put on the resume before that would even be possible. And even if, even if they said you can do it, I wouldn't do it for a couple of years. I wouldn't do it until I've run a couple hundreds and, had that experience. I mean, just to, to, to do otherwise would, um, belie a lack of respect for that course in that race, I think. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's funny when I, when I finished, when I finished crewing the first time in 2009, I finished and my runner, we were so jazzed. He'd done, he'd run a great race, had some low points, but not, nothing like I, I expected. And I finished and I was like, I'm coming back here as soon as possible. Uh-huh. I'm going to be here. And then as time has gone by, I've had the same attitude where I'm like, you know, it, it, it's alluring and it would yeah. be awesome to do it, but it still scares the crap out of me. I mean, as it should. Yeah, it should. And if it doesn't, you're not thinking clearly. Right. You know? and, and after finishing crewing, I wasn't, yeah. certainly wasn't thinking clearly because the amount of preparation, like mental preparation and just being mature enough, having gone through, like, uh, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. It's, it's Really, it's terrifying to think about. So we'll see on the on the start line next year. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I want to. 
wanna, wouldn't want to jinx anything and wouldn't want to commit to anything yet. But yeah, oh, come on. I know product. you've got all your letters of recommendation lined up. Oh, yeah, you have you've to have letters of recommendation. Yeah. Elizabeth, my wife, she was like, because I was talking to her about it, and she was like, so what do you have to do to apply? And I said letters of recommendation. And she was like, what? You have to have like, letters of recommendation done that since you were 18 race. years old. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, and again, that's probably, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's a good part of it because having crude, that person who's finished or who's competed can say, you know, this person actually is, does have the maturity, does have the right. awareness, not maturity, but the awareness. Yeah, how do you act when is. you get tired and, yeah. you know, can you maintain your focus and, you know, I can understand you know, having crewed it. I mean, I don't think they should let anyone do that race who hasn't crewed it. I mean, how could you have any, you know, understanding of what's going on without that experience? Right. That's true. I don't know. I think uh, I think the Adventure Core offices are like right down the road here. I think isn't Chris Kosman in like Agora? He's somewhere like I know he's somewhere yeah. in, in somewhere in like this right area. Around here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool man. Yeah. So so what's next for you this summer? I got my next race is uh, Run Rabbit Run Hundred in uh, on September thirteenth, I think, in uh-huh. Colorado, Steamboat Springs. Oh, that'll so, be cool. It should be. I mean, it's uh, it's it's on paper. Well, it's it's hard to say. On paper, it's my hardest hunt. It's the hardest hundred I've done. It's at altitude. Mm-hmm. It starts at seven thousand. Spends a lot of time in the nine up wow. to ten. And it's the crazy thing is you. It starts at the bottom of the ski slopes at Steamboat Springs, and you go up a up a ski up a ski slope like under the lifts, I guess. Go up on some ridge, go down a ski slope through town, go up a different ski slope. Oh, so it's uh, I mean, the climbing just looks sick. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm excited. It's, mm-hmm. It'll be. Uh, um, that the last one I did was supposed to was sort of the easiest on paper based on elevation gain and it crushed me. Mm-hmm. So no talent. So what does your training look like right now? And are you working with a coach or what is your program? No, I just, I mean, it's, that's the other thing about, I mean, it is much simpler than like we were talking about before. It's mm-hmm. much simpler because I know that like almost every week, except for when I'm in my very peak weeks, almost every week I take Friday or Monday off, depending on how I'm feeling. And I run at least once every other day. Um, Usually, um, usually Tuesday, Thursday, and then either Saturday or Sunday are my long days. And Tuesday, Thursday are like 12 to 18 miles or no, Mm -hmm. I guess Tuesday's more like 10 Thursday's like 15 to 18. And then Saturday, Sunday, um, I do back to back long runs. Uh And sometimes that's like, right. But those are the only two, those are the only days that you run back to back days. No, no, no. So I run, I mean, usually I run Tuesday. I'll do like eight to 12 on Tuesday and then like eight on Wednesday and sometimes a night run on Wednesday as well. Uh, uh And then Thursday is a long run. Oh, I see. 12, 15, 18 miles. And then a lot of times, depending on how I'm feeling, I'll take Friday off and do, and then Saturday is a long run, usually out in the mountains, Mm -hmm. like San Bernino's for, or San Gabriel's, um, anywhere right now, probably, I mean, I'm going to build up again. Saturday, maybe it'll be 20, 25, you know, get up to 30 miles. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, go back out and do 10, 15, 20 miles. Right. And then depending on how I'm feeling, Monday is either a, a short run or another rest day. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I try to run. Usually I'm running like six, six, seven times a week. And do you mix it up like this is a tempo run, this is hill repeats, this is an aerobic run, this is like a really hard run? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sort of. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the Tuesday run because the group I run with, we usually push it. We we push Tuesday is usually my fastest day, and Wednesday is my least, excuse me, my least hilly day. So that's another fast faster run. Um, but then, especially Saturday, Sunday, those are 
those are more aerobic, just, I mean, as much time on my feet as I can do. That's right. Five hour, six hour, five. Sometimes I get a seven hour run in, but like five or six hours. Right. Um, it was pretty regular on Saturday or Sunday. Uh-huh. And how's the diet? It's good. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I went, I, I'm like almost exclusively plant-based. I, I it's, uh, it's hard to say only like, uh, there are times mm-hmm. where, um, I'm out and I'm hungry and options aren't there. I'll, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I know I have like a, you know, a cookie, like for example, out, out right. there, I know I had some cookies and those definitely had dairy in them. Um, but pretty much exclusively plant-based yeah, and, and the balance of things. And, and I dig yeah. it. I mean, uh, so it's been a lot, you've been doing this for a couple, two years. couple of years now. Yeah. yeah. Every morning I make the, sh- I make I think a it was going to be a, like a two week experiment or something like that when you one started. Month. Yeah. One yeah, month. I started <laughs> off. I was like, I'll do it for one month and, uh, and see how it goes. And I, 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 you know, it wasn't, I won't say that like I had a, huge transformation that month but i felt good and yeah I, and I really enjoyed it and i liked the mental prop the mental part of it too and i just kept going with it and i feel great i mean mm-hmm. um uh the energy thing is is everybody says that about plant-based diets yeah. like you have so much more energy but it's true mm-hmm. it, it really i mean whatever. it is true and uh he, 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 uh you know, I was talking to Dean a little bit about this. Like when he was done and he was in his hotel room and we were going to go get dinner, I was like, you know, you hear those stories, oh, he eats pizza while he's running and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, do you want me to bring you a pizza? Like, I'm happy to bring you a pizza. He's like, no, man, I don't, I don't eat that stuff anymore. He's like, I eat way more like you now. Like I wouldn't, call, you know, I don't think he would say he's plant-based or, or anything like that. But, you know, the dude, you know, eats a lot cleaner than he used to. And he said his, his body fat has gone down from like 10% to 4%. He's super lean. Wow. And, uh, and you know, just really like tight. And <clears throat> I was saying, how do you feel? And he's like, oh, he's like, my sleep's better. Everything's better. My skin's better. Uh, my, I go, what about recovery? He's like, insane. Insane. Like yeah, he can't, you know, and, and just waking up after bad water and how good he felt. Like I saw it, you know, and like, that doesn't mean that he didn't eat. Yeah. He had cottage cheese during his race. And you know, when you race, you eat a lot of crazy stuff or whatever. Um, and like I said, he would never call himself exclusively plant-based, but I think he's eating way more in that vein than he used to. And he's right. playing around with it. And the guy has like a degree in like, um, like biomedical science or nutritional science or something like oh, that. Wow. Like he knows from whence he speaks. So that was interesting. And it's good to hear that you, you know, are still feeling it. good. I like the way it feel. I like, I definitely like the way I feel too. Mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, my friend, Jimmy, he paced Jay Smithberger, I guess is his uh-huh. name. And, and Jay and his wife are both vegan or plant-based. Oh, or I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that either. Um, but he fin- and Jay finished it was his first bad water and he finished pretty well. I don't remember yeah. exactly where, but he had a good race, and so that's good. But I don't know if there were. I, that's the only other one that I sort of knew of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. I, I didn't. I mean, I just didn't. I didn't know that many. You know, I knew some people at the right. race, but you know, and there's kind of some overlap with the Ultraman crowd or whatever, but not you know, not very many. Right. Yeah. But it was cool to see how international it was too. Like, yeah, I think that that's a kind of a new thing for that race. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, I you know I think people like Scott Jurek or whatever putting it on the map, and now it's you know people flying all over. From the, there were people from South Korea, Malaysia, Japan, Japan Mexico, Mexico. The winners this year. I mean, it Australia. Was a, it was a, a Portugal. We got from Portugal, Portugal. And a woman from Can- um, right. No, from Australia. Who lives in Dubai? Right. Oh yeah. She. I was like, yeah, Kath <laughs> is a. She's an Australian who lives in Dubai. 
And she, by way of Chile, but trains in Chile or yeah, something, or something like, like that. that. There was something yeah. out, there was another country in there. I think it was Chile. Yeah. And there was some other affiliation. I don't know. And second place was from the UK and third place. I don't know if I was, I don't know where Oswaldo lives. He's, I mean, he's Mexican by heritage, but right. I don't know if he lives. I think he lives in California. I think so. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, tons of huge international presence. Right. There. Right. It's cool. Yeah, and like you know, the Washington Post is putting pictures on their website. Right, you know, the Ray. It's like whoa, you know. Yeah. So as small and insular as it is, it still is attracting this kind of national antenna. Yeah, you know, which is cool. It's cool to see. Definitely. You know, and I, I, you know, and it, it. I think it begs the question of like, where is this ultra world going? You know, there's this purist mentality that it's, you know, these races have been around for a long time and they're relatively unchanged. They're like national parks, you know, and there's a, there's a strong legitimate argument that it should remain that way, you know, and then kind of just the gestalt of modernism pushing it towards, you know, well, get sponsors and get money and get more attention and how much of that is good and how much of that is really undermining the purity of what makes it great. Right. You know, yeah, it's true. I mean, like, there's, there's, there's no money about. I mean, there's no prize no, money about. No, I mean, yeah. he makes a big I mean, point of that, right? We didn't even, yeah, we didn't even say that because it's like, I, I wouldn't even have imagined that anyone would have thought that. But I right. guess that you know we should have pointed that out. But there are now you get a belt buckle. <laughs> yeah. The know? winner gets the exact same thing as the yeah. guy who finishes forty-seven hours and fifty-nine right. minutes. And they don't do a podium. And when you have the award ceremony, there's no podium with one, right. two, three. They just call everyone up name by name and everybody applauds for everybody and they all stand up to, there together. And yeah. the, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You know, ultra running is the race as this run rabbit run that I'm doing is does have a pretty big purse. Mm-hmm. And there are now a few races that have that. And I don't, you know, I don't know what, it's it's hard to argue because these guys who are dedicated, the, I mean, they the should who, be able they, to they, make they, a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. so what I'm saying is I see, you know, yeah, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you maintain that beautiful, pure aesthetic of what it is, but also allow space for people that have are devoting their lives to excellence in this area to be able to support themselves? Right. I guess you, I mean, some of the races preserve that and some of the, you know, give some opportunities yeah. for, I'm sure there's sponsorship opportunities that weren't there. I, you know, I mean, a lot yeah. of these guys have, I, I don't know how much money they make. I doubt there, there aren't many ultra runners, just like there aren't very no, many tri- Ironman triathletes who are making not, a living you know, yeah. doing that, yeah, doing no, sport. It be incredibly hard. I mean, no, I think, I mean, is there any ultra runner other than, you know, maybe two or three guys that you could name that don't have to like have a job, you know, like I can't imagine there is. Uh, it's at, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking maybe, you know, there's, uh, yeah, exactly. Like two or three, maybe five right. in the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hope Killian Jornet doesn't have to work. No, there's he no was, way. He was a one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's actually like, the, the one that you think yeah. of as the top. He's because, the, essentially the finest endurance athlete in the world right now, yeah. like bar none. So. You would think somebody should be paying that guy a lot of money. I don't (laughs) care who it is, but please keep doing it. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Most of, most of them, uh, you know, I know like Michael Arnstein, he has, he, he has a, he has a real job. All these guys have real jobs, have, 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 you know, full-time jobs or part-time jobs or whatever they do. They have to, in order to buy groceries. To make it work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's still very much, uh, you know, get the camper and the tent and like, you know, go, go park at the race start and pitch your tent. You know, there's, that's still a big part of what it's all about. Yeah. totally. So it'll be interesting to see how it, you know, kind of continues to evolve because I think, 
you know, look, marathoning has never been bigger and half marathons and, you know, Ironmans and 70.3s. I mean, they can't make enough of these races and they all sell out. So at some point it's what's the next thing and this is the next thing. And, you know, it's the uncharted waters. And so people are going to start spilling into that, you know, looking for the next thing. It's an, it's inevitable. So it'll be fascinating to watch how that world kind of, um, you know, handles that and manages sort of responsible growth, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it is because, I mean, now I don't know how many hundred, hundred, like hundred mile races there are, but there's, there's got to be a one lot. every weekend. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, even three or four or five years ago, that was not the case. Not even close. So the nice thing about ultras is that well, I guess, I mean, all races sort of have this, but there's a cap on, I mean, like Western States, I think that they're capped, you know, the, the, the park permits, cap them at 260 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that race, Western States, probably the most prestigious or, or mm-hmm. most well-known hundred mile race in the, in, in the U S right. And, but it's, it will never, never get bigger than 260 or 80 or whatever it is right. per people per year. Mm-hmm. And so it does, there's like that self that automatic or internal control on the size and, and bad water too. I'm sure that there's, I don't know what the cap is, but I'm sure it's somewhere around 100 where 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 Adventure Corps couldn't allow, couldn't get a permit to be on those roads with more than 100 people. More yeah, it's got to it be is. that way. I mean, I, yeah, I mean that's the thing. It, you're, it is a national park. Like yeah. people don't realize that. You know, it's it's a national park, and the park service is a big part of what allows that race to transpire. And they make it very clear to you, you know, that you better. <laughs> respect them and respect the rules and all of that. And as they should, you know, as they should. And there's a lot of safety concerns out there with the vehicles and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it would be so easy to get clipped from behind. These cars are pulling up because the highway, you could be going a hundred miles an hour and a car pulls out in front of you. You can't tell whether it's going 10 miles an hour or 60. Right. You know? Yeah. It's amazing that, that, I mean, I don't know, but in the three years I've been there, I haven't heard of any, you know, I, I, any major issues mm-hmm. i'm sure that that event i'm sure that the park service i'm sure there are little things that happen all the time but i haven't heard i've never seen a car accident or like a runner get I've never seen anybody get hit by a knock on wood never seen anybody get hit by a car or like yeah. or anything like that and i and i think that's testament to the rules that that adventure Corps mm-hmm. puts in place sure. and how conscious everybody is but it is it, it's a sketchy situation it's open roads yeah it's it's right for something to happen. I'm glad that it hasn't. And yeah, made it through another year without any anything like that occurring. So exactly. hopefully they'll get permitted to do the race next year. So you know we can all go support you running it. <laughs> Chris, Chris, this is not me. This is not, yeah, this is not me talking. <laughs> all right, well let's wrap it up. Sure. Now. Yeah, this is what great. Do you think that was, was awesome. Anything else about Badwater we want to talk about? I don't think so. We I mean, covered I the shoes. Covered. We covered the heat. We covered the food. Water. You know, we I mean, about uh, Ray. We talked about Dean. Did water. you guys think about how much how much water? Do you guys calculate how much water? Oh, uh, I had? did ask that at the end of the guys. I was like, how much water do you think you went through? Like, how much? I go. I, all I know is I was drinking sixteen to twenty ounces, like every twenty to twenty five minutes for a good, you know, right twenty yeah. hours. We at did. Least. I think we calculated that we did twenty five gallons of just water and that doesn't include the ice that melted i mean and I, I mean a few hundred pounds of ice but 25 gallons of water between five people plus all the ice plus the coke and some gatorade and sodas uh-huh. and coconut water and i mean i don't, I don't know what the total amount was of fluids but 
Sorry, that's the last thing. Though. Yeah, I know. I mean, all I, yeah, like, well, we had one, two, three. We had four or five coolers of varying sizes. And, you know, when we got into stovepipe wells, we had to get all new ice. Yeah. And then when we got to Panamint, we had to get all new ice. You know, it's like you can't believe you go through that much ice and water. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Do the math, man. You know, crazy amounts of water. Yeah. Multiplied by 100 or yeah. 96 or whatever. Exactly. It's like the, the amount of ice and water that that area goes through that day. Is I know. Did, uh, did Ray have any hallucinations? At one point, yes. Oh, yeah, at one point. We, it was, I, I mean, it was, he was so tired. He, he, we were walking up out of the hill, the, the second hill after, like the, the last hill out, out of Panamint. Um, uh, oh, right. Uh-huh. The one that you're at, it's like three in the morning. It's like three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, it was middle of the night, and I'm walking with him. He's struggling to stay awake, and he said something about some figures. And I was like, what, what? Like oh my god! I just loosened it. I saw some fig. Some, I saw some people out there on, on, in uh-huh. the in, in, on the side of the hill. That that was the only one. Right? Did Dean? Uh, no. I mean, he was sort of talking to himself on and off, but right. he never he never became incoherent or anything like that. Yeah. But he was kind of like you know sort of talking affirmations to himself a little right. bit when he had some low moments. Um, I mean, I know he's had hallucinations in the past, um, but it didn't seem you know, he didn't seem to have them. This time, my first year, the, my runner was. Uh, we were walking up the portal road, and you know, there's a cliff on on one side. It's a cliff. You're on the road, and on one side, it's a cliff down, and the other uh-huh. side, there's a rock wall. And I think that maybe some rocks had fallen down, or, or there was some noise. And he was terrified that all of a sudden it was a massive earthquake. Oh. I mean, for like a split second, I, he he. You could see the, the the fear on his face, and I was like, "What? What? What? What?" And he's like, "It's an earthquake." <laughs> and I told him, and you know, I talked him down. He was Im- immediately what was cool, was fine, but right. um, but it was like he, he just like he he yeah, saw something beyond, I didn't see. Exhausted, depleted. Your electrolytes are out of whack. You haven't slept. I yeah. mean, you know, it's like can't blame him. You could anything could pop into your head, I suppose. Yeah. So totally. anyway, everybody survived. Yeah, lived to fight another day. Exactly. All right, man. Cool. Let's get out of here. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. This was great. Badwater recap. I love it. That's cool. People are going to dig it, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. And uh, good luck with the race in September. Thank you. And we're going to do some hill training, right? On Wednesdays? I'll be there. All right, man. That'd be great. I dig it. What about Billy? Is he going to show up? I'll get him out there. Yeah. He's got, he's doing 50K in two weeks, but then he'll be, uh, he'll be right back out. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks, Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Take it easy. Peace. Plants.